Hello, everyone. Real quick before we start, I want to shout out Blake Vittoria. He's our first active monthly sponsor on Anchor.fm, and he's donating some of his funds every month to support the pod. I want to thank you, Blake. Thank you very much. And if you, any of you would like to do the same thing, venture over to anchor.fm slash the unfounded podcast, click on support, and there you will be able to donate in whatever way you deem fit. And we do appreciate your support because uh, this does take some type of monetary uh, commitment every month to make happen. So thank you, Blake. And I want all of you to enjoy the rest of the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, just like last time, we're actually going to have three people on this episode. Same as last time, we're going to have Bethany joining us again and Justin joining us again. But this time we're talking about uh, the topic we mentioned before, which is going to be both the military, um, kind of me and Justin's anecdotal experience, uh, along with some other anecdotal stories uh, that Bethany has to share with us as well. And then we're going to kind of talk about duty at a higher level. Uh, philosophical level and kind of see how that applies uh, to some of the things we've talked about in the prior episodes. So <clears throat> real quick, uh, before we get into it, we've we've really enjoyed uh, listening back to these these episodes, the last couple one, uh, of them and seeing the different um, methods, uh, tools come alive in the podcast itself. Um, so we're really going to try to continue incorporating those things. And uh, one of the things we're going to do right at the beginning here is just do a, a card pull like we've been doing before. Uh, as I said before, Bethany is a psychic medium uh, and she she pulls tarot cards often. And so we're going to have her pull some tarot cards here at the beginning. But we were sitting here before kind of intention setting and we have a bunch of different tarot cards uh, in Bethany's room here. And so we usually kind of just uh, look around the room and see which which cards pop out to us. And a couple different decks popped out to us today. Um, the first one being, I believe, the Zombie Tarot deck, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, and so the Zombie Tarot deck is an interesting tarot deck. It's got a lot of kind of more graphic depictions on it. It's a little darker looking tarot deck, some of the depictions, but we thought it'd be fitting kind of for some of the subject matter we're going to be talking about ten on tonight's episode. Uh, and then also we have Omega Land, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, did we pull that one as well? Um, no, the Omega Land is still up there. We did the Oracle okay. deck, which is the the earth power oracle earth power oracle okay mm -hmm. so now that's gonna be another deck we're gonna do which wasn't really one that me and bethany immediately were like that's what we should do but we both it both of us were drawn to it for some reason so we'll see how that comes into play here in a couple minutes anyway uh also just to clue you in on when we're doing this guys it is memorial day here uh, in phoenix arizona and it's about eight o'clock at, at night so we thought it'd be a good time uh to sit down and talk about some of these subjects so without any further ado bethany do you have a card ready to go or do you have a card that you've pulled no i i did pull the card i did okay. pull a card but i i wasn't i kind of think i can see how it resonates okay but you haven't gotten anything yet well i guess i'll just go ahead it's it we might it might unfold in a weird way that's what i'm thinking it says we are one i exercise self-care and care for my community there is no one spiritual path but many so Mm. The we are one thing I was just thinking of like like the brotherhood mentality that the yeah. military has was the first thing that popped in my head. Um, I exercise self-care and care for my community again, kind of a similar thing I would imagine. Um, but because we had pulled out the the book, what's the title of the book? 
Oh yeah, sorry about that. I forgot about that as well. It's uh, we have another book here. It's called Faith and Magic in the Armed Forces. Uh, it's a handbook for pagans in the military. Is the title of it, and it's Stephanie E. Barner. Uh, it's a really interesting subject, and we're gonna do a random page pull from that as well. So while that one's geared specifically towards pagans, mm-hmm. it was the only book that I had seen that was about spirit, like like other types of spirituality mm-hmm. in. The military but since it says there is no one spiritual path but many i felt that it applies because that's yeah. one of the things that they're talking about in that book is how their spirituality their faith whatever yeah. was not something that was uh, accepted or mm-hmm. even really acknowledged you know it is interesting that um you know and i'm sure jessen can talk on this a little bit too but when you're in when you're in basic training they they give you an option to go to church i, I don't know if it was a similar in the navy yeah yeah uh you didn't have to go, but it was an option. So yeah, a lot of us just figured out who had the longest service, and we went to that one. <laughs> that's what I was hoping you'd take. That's exactly what happened with us too. Oh it's, yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> get out of this compartment for a couple hours. Exactly right. You know, it's it's funny because um, you know, before we actually before we get into those, I, I kind of like to do if you're as long as you're comfortable with it, Justin, give you a little uh, a moment to tell you tell the listeners about uh, your military service, what branch you're in, and kind of what you did in the military. Uh, I'll do the same thing, and then we'll kind of go from there and see. Uh, see what we can pull out of it. All right. Okay, I'll get going. I'll, get, yeah, uh, I'll give you the floor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and just a thought, because I we hadn't talked about that book before, but we actually, I remember on base, we had a Wiccan uh, chaplain. Yes. Which mm-hmm. I thought, what? It, then, a bunch of people made a big deal about it, but I thought it was pretty <laughs> interesting. And I heard about other, uh, let's say, less, less common denominations yeah. having chaplains in the military and things like that. But every chaplain I ever dealt with was some sort of Christian mostly. And I had the similar experience. I think you could go to a Wiccan service as well. One of the options was, but everybody was kind of like just more curious about it. There wasn't yeah, yeah. many people that also it wasn't very practice. long. Yeah, what's that? It wasn't very it wasn't long. Very so long it wasn't so it was a popular. choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I know it had some weird things that you could do. Um, I think it was the only one that you could sleep in. If I'm not mistaken, like there was this rumor going around, at least in our basic training that in the Wiccan service, you were allowed to kind of like meditate. And if you fell asleep, you could fall asleep. So people started going there and just sleeping. <laughs> and, and they got really I didn't upset. hear that. That would have been a good option. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, go, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to take the floor from you. Oh, no problem. Oh, uh, cool. I didn't prepare this. Uh, You're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in the I was in the Navy. I joined in uh, 2002. Okay. Just after I took one last summer vacation and joined in September. Wow. So, so you I joined right after September 11th and not too long after. Oh, a year. Just about a year is when okay. I, uh, what is it? September 16th, 2022. Yeah. So it would have been a year and five days after the September 11th attacks, I think. A year and five days. Wow. Hmm. But uh, I mean, I'd al- it was already part of the plan for me. I wasn't. OK, I didn't I, I didn't catch the patriotism like so many people said. It was it It was already uh, it was already part of the plan. I was going to join one way or the other. But um, yeah, it was a bit of an error. My timing, because uh, our boot camp is in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois, yes. just north of Chicago. <laughs> so I was there. I finished up in. Late November, early December, something like that. I finished up school, which you think, all right, so you're going to get out of there right before it gets cold. But no, my <laughs> my initial tech training was in uh, was in uh, what was it? NTC, which is in Great Lakes. It's right yeah. across the street. So I just I got on a bus road for five minutes and was at my <laughs> new base. So that was nice. Ridiculous bus. Yeah, ride, yeah. Every, everyone else in my division was going to Pensacola, Florida for some sort of air debt bullshit. But mm-hmm. yeah. 
fucking air guys <laughs> <laughs> which i was in the air force which is if for those of you that don't understand the context also fuck navy air guys <laughs> but uh yeah so i was uh i went to basic electronics school in great lakes and then fire controlman uh a school okay which is uh fire controlman or people who work on the the weapon systems on the ships yeah for okay. anyone who doesn't have a clue what that is most people most people are thinking firemen i'm sure yeah yeah most yeah. mostly yeah. yeah oh you put out fires well i did but that's <laughs> everybody in the everyone ship in the navy yeah. does <laughs> i actually got to fight a main switchboard fire on my first ship oh did you yeah, it's not as much fun as you might think. Yeah, I said it's dark. A lot of there's fire and stuff. <laughs> it was right after I got there too. I was like, all the lights on the ship shut off, and then the engine shut down, which is a weird thing to have have happen on a ship. So the entire Imagine, ship just shook. Yeah. The lights went out. I'm standing there in a passageway, and some guy just with a flashlight shines in my face, grabs my shirt, and said, "Are you basic DC qualified?" I'm like. Yeah, I, I got qualified about three minutes before that. I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, yeah, he's like, all right, get an FFE. Throws me in the locker. I'm, get suited up. I got a hose. I mean, isn't there electricity down here? Should we? Nope, it's all gone. That's awesome. Everything's shut off. So, that, yeah, that story we, is repeatable all throughout the military. I know you just get into something and that's always when stuff goes down. Uh, yeah, <laughs> But yeah, we were dead in the water. It was exciting. So what, um, so explain your job a little bit more. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a fire controlman and I, uh, when I was done with the A school in Chicago, I got to go to Virginia, which if any of you get the opportunity to go, oh wait, people in the, might, might be people listening in Virginia. No, Virginia's (laughs) fine. Nice state. (laughs) I love Virginia. Yeah. Anyways, no, I did not enjoy Virginia. And then I went back there after the military and didn't enjoy it again. But, uh, anyways. I did my uh, my C school there, which was my actual specific system I worked on. I worked on a CWIS, which is a uh, it's a twenty millimeter Gatling gun. It's an anti aircraft oh, wow. gun. Yeah, it fires well. The older models fired three thousand rounds a minute, and then wow. the newer models, the pneumatic ones, fired four thousand five hundred rounds a minute, which is sixty rounds a second. Jeez. So, like, explain like when they're one of those things is going off. Like, what is the experience of watching one of those? Like, it just it sounds like a chainsaw it doesn't even sound like a gun <laughs> it's just it's not like you don't hear a bang 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 noise it's just a mom yeah and it, it'll fire for about 20 seconds and then it's done like if it's fully loaded and you fire all the rounds it's 20 seconds and it's done mm-hmm. and then they expect you to put on a turtle suit and go outside and reload i'm like nah man i'll be in the ocean already and like, you said- if i ever have to turn that thing on i'm gonna be like all right <laughs> it's on i'm gonna be in the water near here if everything works out come and get me so it's de- it's a defensive system yeah, it's an yes. anti-aircraft. Uh, yeah, it's it's designed to shoot down missiles. They did some upgrades. Now there's a flare on it. You can shoot boats and helicopters yeah. and RC cars in a parking lot. Okay. I, I, had a, I had a chief who was an instructor, and he got a little one of those little nitro-burning RC cars, uh-huh. and they drive it around the parking lot because they have a 20-millimeter Gatling gun on the side of the parking lot. <laughs> I mean, just sitting. It was never know? loaded, but <laughs> but yeah, they have they have that set up there, so they would drive the RC car around the parking lot and track it with a FLIR. Yes. You could lock onto a heat signature. And they'd oh, get okay. people in the park across the street. They'd, like, they'd lock it onto like some a family walking mm-hmm. their kid in the park or something like that and just fall on with a machine gun. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm sure they were they were happy to have, have that happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were doing a uh, we were doing a track X with these uh, uh, Australian pilots this one time. And they had to just they were like, basically what it was, I think, was they were testing their uh, their radar detection equipment mm-hmm. so they had to they were they wa- they wanted to be tracked with an anti-aircraft radar so that they could have all their christmas tree go off and say hey dude you're about to get fucked 
So they would know that that part of the airplane worked. It's a good yeah. piece of the airplane to have working. What ideal, yeah, ideally. So they were. <laughs> so we had both of our mounts turned on, downloaded, mm -hmm. no ammunition, and them uh, all set up so that they couldn't fire. We just had them so that they would search and then track mm -hmm. and then give us a little light to engage. So it was an manual, not auto. So it wouldn't even try to fire. We'd have to hit the button. But yeah, so they were just marking on top. They're just coming at us inbound target. We track. Uh, we search, track them. They'd get all their lights. They'd fly over the top. They'd come back. They did a couple passes. Well, anyways, we were doing that. And so we were dealing with these guys. And I guess we had one of the American ships with uh, aircraft was coming back to the carrier. And it just so happened they were just inbound enough, mm -hmm. like sort of heading our direction, that uh, the Australians marked on top, passed over. But we didn't turn off the system because they're just going to come back the other way again. So everything was just still searching. Mm -hmm. And then so the search radar caught this guy who was heading back to the aircraft carrier and slews out and hits him with a track radar. I guess all of his equipment was working, too, because that guy, you could see him. He just weaves back and forth three times and breaks off and heads the other direction. Him, yeah. He just knew that something was tracking him. He didn't know the, what we were doing. So he's like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm leaving. So what, um, and you were on a ship most of your time, correct? Um, yeah, most okay. of the time, yeah. What, uh, what what type of ship were you on and how oh, long Oh, I was on, on two cruisers and then a destroyer. I was uh, based out of Yokosuka, Japan for okay. five years. Mm -hmm. So I, I was on one cruiser and then we did a hull swap with another cruiser. The USS Chancellorville was my first ship. The Shiloh was my second ship. Okay. And so it wasn't two separate commands. We just, um, out there in the seventh fleet, they tend to run the boats into the ground. So <laughs> we're always out and doing stuff. So yeah. they just, they wear them out. So then we, at some point, sent them back to San Diego to get refitted and all fixed up and new the updated, updated yeah, whatever weapons, next generation whatever, whatever is, stuff, yeah. whatever stuff you need to do to the, to the ship that we weren't doing because we were out running around pestering the Russians and the Chinese, <laughs> having fun around the world. Yeah, yeah. just no, just piss, picking on people for no yeah. reason. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, so we swapped with the Shiloh, which all shiny and new, and nothing worked because those guys were lazy bastards. <laughs> but uh, but you hit on a lot, of, a couple of different things throughout that. You know, there's um, the experience in the military is is. Hard. To, I, I've found, at least through my experience, it's very hard to describe once you've been in what it's like being in, right? Yeah, and yeah. Partially, it's because of some of the anecdotes you just went through. You know, uh, there's these little experiences that happen, and they happen all the time that um, you have to set up in context, and it's hard to explain to other people because there's some there's such a diversity of it. Like for instance, I have uh, a lot of the experiences I had in basic training. I remember I think back on and. It, one of the things that I tried to explain to people is basic is also is like one of the like least fun times you're ever going to go through, but also like one of the funniest in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and well, it's one of those things where it's I think it's where you initially have your brain broken. Yes. So like you, you'll laugh at anything in the military. Oh, shit. Jimmy yeah. just got caught on fire. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's not a funny situation, but I don't know. It's funny to you. And very dark humor, right? And yeah, there's, yeah. there's there's interesting ways in which that plays into, like you said, the breaking down of the human psyche, I think, in some ways. But also um, kind of there's there's other aspects of that, too. There's a com uh, camaraderie aspect where it's uh, something like um telling those kind of jokes within kind of a band of brothers yeah, environment yeah. Uh, kind of distills the energy in a weird way because you're in such high tension environments you know you're in, you're yeah. in a place where you where you're dealing with kind of life and death choices as you were describing with these weapon systems that can do crazy amounts of damage right well, so it's it's uh it's it's a really and at the same time placing um, did you join out at a high school yeah 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 i was 18 when i okay i was still 18 when i went in 
same with me too and, and placing a lot of very young individuals there with a lot of power too yeah right? yeah so, and another thing uh, speaking of like the, the dangerous situation like i was fighting a fire and then i was working on a gun system and i was pointing a, a machine gun at a, a chinese ship yeah. because we were too close to it why would you be that close <laughs> but, but yeah like just real like crazy stuff like that but i mean and then my buddies, I had buddies in Fallujah and stuff like that, because I was still there when we were still, you know, doing some crazy shit. Yeah, I, mean, I had a bunch of buddies who joined the Marines and had to take Fallujah like four times because yeah, they kept some on of the hardest fighting, kept on catching it, frame, getting yeah. it back. Um, but like you think about the the fear and the anxiety and the the, the stuff from that kind of situation where like there are guns and bombs mm-hmm. and people trying mm-hmm. to kill you or you're fighting a fire or you're doing all, and all sorts of stuff on the ship you do. It's just dangerous because like. And I figure, oh, we got a bunch of people. Why would we use a piece of equipment? We yeah. got people. So there are all those situations where, you know, you're genuinely in in danger. But then there's this thing that people don't really talk about in the military. I I found I've talked to some people who were in with me about it, but I, it's not something that gets re- discussed is like. You are always just a hair's breadth away from getting locked up. Oh, you know what? You are always yeah. very nearly in trouble, like yeah. everything you're doing. And there's so many rules. A lot more drastic trouble, too, than people yeah. realize. Yeah. Also, like something you and I have discussed mm-hmm. is no due process, no, no habeas none. corpus, none of that stuff. Yeah. That shit's out the window. You yes. sign that away. Well, it's interesting. At an age yeah. when you had no fucking clue what it was in the first place. That's that's what really interesting dynamic. That's another aspect of what I was talking about. That's really hard to explain uh, is one thing that I had to learn a very hard lesson uh, mm-hmm. in the military is that 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 uh, ideally, if you're you know going to uh, serve in the military, a lot of people do it for the you know the reasons you see on the TV or on the army commercials or whatever it is. You know, be be the best you can be, or you know, serve for your country, or yeah. any of these ideas, and all of them valid reasons to join the military. But one of the things I realized uh, that I had done was I had this conception of freedom itself as being the thing that have kind of blessed me right this ability to kind of choose my direction and path most important thing on the planet yeah it is exactly right and and i think that that fundamental recognition uh uh, it drove in me something like a a desire to give it back and Mm -hmm. so i chose the military in a way to kind of uh not only give it back but kind of uh, put my due in so that it maintains its balance in the world something like that yeah yeah what I found is I didn't realize that what you pay is with that kind of sacrifice. You don't understand what giving up freedom really is. Like. Yeah, 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 exactly right. And what I think, is, yes, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, the best description I've ever heard, and I've told it, I've said it to you before, is uh, I heard someone, I don't know if he was quoting someone or if he said it himself, it was somebody I was working for, and he said, the military, what is it? Uh, the military is an organization for the defense of freedom, uh, the defense of democracy, not the practice of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a pretty accurate statement. And, you know, I want to at the get go too. before we get too far into it, I want you guys to know that, um, you know, we don't want to we're not trying to convince anybody of getting in the military or or otherwise. Right. Um, I think what we're trying to do here in this whole in this whole episode is one uh, kind of talk about our experience so that through our experience, we can kind of remember the people that have gone before us uh, on this Memorial Day and and two to kind of reflect on uh, like what it means to be a soldier, what it means to to think to enact the sense of duty in your life. Right. Uh, and so as we continue on with what we were talking about there, though, that there's a lot of things, experiences in the military that aren't necessarily the most pleasant. Uh, and I think most people know this, right? Everybody knows that you're going to go through basic training to some degree. There's, they know that yeah, there's yeah. going to be this certain sacrifice, but I think there's this misconception about what, what it feels like to have that freedom taken away. Uh, and as I, 
uh, it actually segues really nicely into kind of my story real quick before we get in uh, too much further into it as well. Uh, many of the listeners probably already have heard this in little segments, but uh, I joined the Air Force uh, right out of high school, similar to Jessen. Uh, and I uh, joined, uh, went to basic training in San Antonio, Texas, um, and also went to tech school there, which is what ours was called. He had C school, I think you called it. Oh, uh, we have a, we, well, Usually we have A school and C school. A school is your your okay, initial yeah. training in, in your job. And then C school is more of a specific to a system or something like that. Yeah. And then the, the job I had, we had a, a school before A school, which was just basic yeah, electronics. And that yeah. was for a couple different rates would go in through there. Okay. Just just so you knew what voltage was and you knew like what a basic a, course, uh, yeah, yeah. resistors and transistors and shit were. They and when they and most 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 uh branches kind of classify it differently and do the prep like the uh the training, I guess, a little differently. Yeah, they yeah. call it different things. But anyway, mine was called a tech school. In my tech school, uh, I went to be a cop. Uh, it was called security forces in the, in the Air Force. And uh, it's kind of a dual function uh, job. I was a I was a cop on the base, but I was also kind of the security force of the of the base. So um, it was an interesting job to take on. And I joined uh, uh, choosing that job because I wanted to be a cop. And in, in the same way I was ideal about joining and protecting freedom, I was very idealistic about kind of the legal system and laws in general. Uh, so I had, I come kind of took a double helping of that lesson. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if you know, see where I'm going, right? Um, <laughs> so I get in and, you know, I really did uh, enjoy a lot of my time in the military is one of the systems actually that I found. And I don't know if you can speak to this, Justin, but uh, once you learn it, it's very simple to navigate. Yeah, you are oriented in the military. Uh, A lot of things are kind of uh, taken care of for you. And, you know, when you're you make a wrong turn, there's always somebody there to tell you that. So it's really easy to stay on the right path, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very as ever. I mean, of course, it's it's very structured. Yeah, it's like (laughs) just figure out the shape of the hole you're supposed to be in and get the fuck in it. Exactly right. Yeah. And that's that's another aspect of that, though, is is to have that structure, to have that kind of efficiency. You have to trade away a little bit of uh, freedom and Mm -hmm. and. autonomy too yeah i mean yeah freedom isn't a a good system i mean if you really look at it i mean if we if we just had a decent dictator everything would run great i mean one guy figuring everything out making it work the problem is that greed and fucking personal interest gets in there and ruins everything but yeah freedom isn't is is not efficient or safe and i think that's the thing that people kind of forget about like when they talk about you know we got to do these things to protect everyone was like well and also in our country, freedom is the end all be all. There's yes. nothing better it's than been freedom to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. The so idea. so the idea of giving up any level of freedom for security or anything like that. I mean, you have the, the I, I didn't have a quote, but now I do. Uh, oh, okay. Benjamin Franklin said, uh, uh, any man who would give up a measure of freedom to gain a measure of security to desire deserves neither. Neither. Yes. Yeah. Which and we'll have both. And, and or there's. A, yeah, exactly. I think there's yeah. more to it. There's a little more taken away or something yes, like that. But yeah, I think away, that yeah. that's the. That's the point that that I'm trying to get across here is that as a, as as a country in our society, the idea of giving up anything for security is is so hated, and that's why you have the uh, the big the big argument about uh, gun control and mm-hmm. common sense gun laws and things like that. And uh, I'm not going to really make a big deal about what side I fall on. I yeah. think people could probably guess, but <laughs> um, but the thing is, like. Like I say, freedom isn't safe. It's not actually the best system or, or I'm not saying it's not the best system, but it, it's well, not it's, a perf- it's, it's not a perfect system. Just like everything else. There's a pro. There's a there's a yeah, there pros and cons aspect to yeah, it. What it like, it's like, it's like not everything's black and from, white like everyone thinks in this fucking Mickey Mouse country. Yeah, but you but, can uh, view it from two angles. You can view it from freedom. Or yeah, yeah. Every, every everything's yeah, everything's yeah, gray. Yeah. yeah, it's all different just different angles. shades of gray. But yeah, yeah. it's a. Uh, 
Yeah, I see the argument for having no regulation, but if you say that you don't see the argument of what makes sense to have regulation, then you're just not trying. Yeah. Because uh, what is it? Yeah, you another, compromise. I got another good quote. Shit, I'm all over it this time. <laughs> you're good. Uh, Aristotle, he said, uh, it's a mark of an educated mind that he can entertain a entertain an idea without accepting it or something yes. like that. All right, yeah. It was it was uh, translated from Greek, so mm-hmm. I... However, I say it, it could be good. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's this this thing. Uh, people more and more and more and more. I see, and maybe I'm just paying more attention now. Like, have this idea that they can't even. Like, I I hear this thing. People say, and regardless of who they they're talking about, they say, I can't understand why someone would have voted for him. Yeah. Well, then I don't think you have a good reason not to vote for whoever that was. Well, it's because you didn't put any thought thing. into yeah. it. Yeah. If you can't see why someone would make the decision they have, then you haven't considered it in any way. There are reasons for and against any argument. If you, I feel everyone says everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I think that's horseshit. You are not entitled to your opinion if you can't argue the counterpoint because you didn't put any thought into it. It's not opinion. It was you at some point abdicated all choice and just found someone and said whatever they say i'll say what they said it's a regurgitation of yeah yeah you just yeah, yeah. you picked a party line somewhere and you're just running on that line you're not thinking about anything exactly i'm getting angrier than i intended on this you're, conversation you're fine it's, it's easy i get <laughs> i was noticing that so <laughs> you're doing something that i do similarly if you because like, i usually do this by myself and listeners are probably familiar with it but it's easy to get kind of caught on this on the similarities of a certain energy and it'll take you down a, a, yeah, a yeah. rabbit hole where you'll see where it correlates between seemingly unrelated things right which is a weird way to say like um we it's, it's really actually important to recognize that though because there's these, all the all these different aspects of life that are connected in this energetic way and i think in the mm-hmm. way you just outlined right there yeah, yeah right and and i think part of the problem and part of the re not problem part of the reason it comes out in frustration is because it's unrecognized in yeah, the yeah. world right uh and another thing is like yeah. like you said like getting back to what this is all about duty and we signed up to you know go into harm's way and do these things for our duty and then uh, the duty to our country and our people and you know make everything right and then we see these fucking morons just pissing it away because they can't bother to fucking think well yeah and they're they're, exactly sorry if you feel if if i am calling you you personally a moron yes I, i have no intention of doing that it's just i get i get annoyed it's okay. And it's, it's this podcast, like I said, I don't like to say safe space, but it's a safe space to express yourself in that way. So, um, not you people. Yes. And everybody, I think most people listening to this podcast know to not take anything personally, right? It's all to get the energy out and to demonstrate. <laughs> it's something eight, when, you, a, when you say that, so anybody listening should Google number 818, angel number 818. And I was going to ask uh, Bethany, do you have anything to comment on, on some, any of the points we've hit there? I know we kind of hit a lot there at the beginning, but did you have any comments or? So if I'm being honest, okay. I was kind of off in my own little world for a minute because I was trying to see if I can find some material to provide. And I did find some cool things. I pulled, um, I asked the Oracle deck to give me a card that would resonate with what we'd be talking about in some sort of way, because I didn't understand how the the earth power Oracle deck would relate, but it actually pulled me to, um, it taught, it started speaking about a, a land, excuse me, (laughs) One land that had um, not just been used for war, but actually 
um, sacrifice. And one of the games that they play is similar to war because they would actually uh, pick two teams and each team would attack each other with spears. Mm. And it was because that they believed that the bloodshed would be good for the earth and all of this mm. stuff. Yes. So mm. I was going to read it from there so that it was actually more accurate information. But um, I thought that was really interesting that of all of the ones that I could have picked, that was that was what came up. It is interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. So then... I went researching the word duty, and I did find um, a quote. It was an Albert Einstein quote oh, I love him. that was about love versus duty. And so then I went even further <laughs> and started looking up um, the Chaldean numerology and all of that. Yeah. And what's ironic about all of that is when you sum total the word duty, it goes in the number six, which is love. love. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was reading a little bit about what the number love represents. I didn't know that's where we were going with the Chaldean stuff. The People Chaldean, seem to see it coming ahead. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. The Chaldean numerology, yeah. Um, and it, it talks about the tarot cards that are associated with it. Okay. So um, the two cards that are associated with it are the lovers, obviously six, mm-hmm. the lovers. And then 15, the devil, because one in five is six. Mm. So I think that that was interesting. So I pulled the lovers and the devil from the zombie deck and was kind of reading over that to see how or when it would apply. Just kind of like making a mental a mental note. Okay. And then without looking, I pulled clarifier cards and just tucked them into there. So I don't know if you guys want me to show you this stuff now or wait. It's how you guys are done talking. But that's what I was doing. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I have a also, couple Also, she's heard me go on this rant before, so she's probably like, oh, I'm good. I know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I think all of it relates, and that's what's so interesting is we've hit a lot of things already, but I, I kind of see how where we're going with it, and it's... It, it, there's... One of the things you hit on with the card, because I was fascinated with why we picked those cards, too. They, like we were saying at the beginning, they don't appear to have much correlation to military experience or duty or anything like that. Um, but as you talked about that game... Uh, that what civilization used to do that like what where, where was it from or oh here um hold on i'd be interested it seems it reminded me of the aztecs for some reason or like the way they used to play that death game with that ball you know i that, thought the same thing but it, it didn't pull up an aztec thing it's called sumba sumba island that's not the page where did you go Okay, do you want me to just read read it sure. to you? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. It, well, okay, so the, the affirmation on it says, Fertility of all kinds is my birthright. I am connected to all the cycles of the land and the sky. Healthy fierceness is something to be valued. Be patient, mm. the time will come. Healthy fierceness. Yeah, I noticed that too. So the description <laughs> of this card says, Many people fly to Sumba from the holiday isle of Bali, I think. Bali. 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 Mm-hmm. And as such, ex- accept the same soft, expect the same soft, flowful, almost bohemian energy to extend to this sister place. But nothing could be further from the truth. Sumba is hardcore. There is a very fierce energy about the place and the clans on the island still practice blood sacrifice in their in the course of their traditional rituals, which are incredible to witness. The holy men on Sumba are called... Ratu. The Ratu are facilitators of a very special festival that gives an indication of the kind of energies that this island contains. The Pasola, I'm probably saying all this incorrectly, involves two opposing regional teams of men on horseback. The two teams of around 30 men per side face off against each other on a field slightly larger than a football field. 
Then they start throwing spears at each other. Yes, spears. If a spear hits you and draws blood, you are to get off the horse and place the bleeding part of the body upon the soil. This ensures the fertility of the land and correct optimum cycles for another year. The Ratu hold this sacred event when the sea warm when the sea worms rise from the depths around a full moon at a certain time of year. The Ratu wait on the shoreline and the in-between places of the reefs looking for them. As soon as they are seen, the pasola can begin. There are a few places on earth where blood is tied so very closely to the land and the cycles. Come to Sumba and you will feel the connection very strongly. This truly is a simple and profoundly magical place. And then there's more, but it's just talking about what to do when you visit there. So it's interesting. I'm down. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's I had no idea about that. I've never heard of that place before. Um, But one of the things I was thinking about was it was making me think about the military in more of and this is going to be a weird way to think about the military, a game form. Um, that if you're trying to classify the military as a game and as a corollary of what we just read, what is its function as a game? Um, something similar well, in a I, weird way is like, what is the, what is the, what is the military as a, as an organization? Well, in one way, it's kind of a blood letter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it is a kind of sacrificial organ in one way, in some ways. Um, but I don't mean to say that with any kind of indignity to anybody that's gone before us on Memorial Day, right? Uh, what I mean by that is actually there's a way in which I think uh, the sacrifice, uh, this is just a fundamental idea too, but sacrifice at every level is an eliminatable, but it's kind of, it has to be transmutable internally. So I think physical violence, physical bloodletting is transmutable, but it's something that has to be taken inside internally at the individual level mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, organizations like the military, organizations uh, that are function as kind of uh, arms of war, um, or something like an uh, an expression of the evolutionary stage at which the human being is at. Uh, so that another step of that evolution is to, like I said, transmute that energy from an external place internally so that the war becomes an internal war at an individual level everywhere. Uh, so that that the bloodletting at a physical level isn't necessary. Uh, also in that, something that Nietzsche said is to realize that the source is you inside of you, even Mother Earth herself, right? That you come out of Mother Earth, that you are the Earth, right? That you aren't something that's separate from it. Uh, you're something that's a part of it. Uh, and so that once you realize that, there's not a necessity to externally bloodlet anymore. You can do that internally through something like a sacrifice of the old you. I had... And anyway... Sorry, this is kind of totally different, but it's just it's just I'm seeing all these visuals and stuff. But when I was thinking about like like Greek gods and Roman gods and stuff, they have gods that are of war. Yes. And even planets geared geared towards war and stuff. So then I I, I kind of wondered why, like, why would there be a god that supports or encourages not in like a harmful way or even and it supports like as in like condoning, but supports as in like. I'm picking a side or picking a person who deserves to be a stronger warrior than somebody else. And I'm giving them or blessing them with these gifts. Why would that exist unless there was to some degree? And this is coming from somebody who's like peace and love and does not want any war a necessity for, for bloodshed, maybe not war, but bloodshed. So I can I, I did wonder if maybe there were outside influences, Mm, interesting external energies, external, not yeah, external energies that might be encouraging wars. Yeah. Um, either with other groups 
uh, people within themselves or outside. And so it's just something to question, like, are the reasons we choose to really be aggressive and start wars for the reasons we think that they are? Or could there be something something more to it? Well, this is an interesting conversation. I didn't expect us to go to this spot, but I'm about to talk about aliens. Well, you're talking to me. Yeah. And so... I, I, I had a feeling that's where we were going. <laughs> From the get-go. Yeah, I, I was already about. fairly certain that's where we are going to end up. <laughs> but, but what you talk about, I think I've, I've had similar realizations uh, throughout, I guess, what I would call my awakening. And I think one of the things I've realized is that there are greater energies at, for, at play in the universe. And uh, that one of the ways they... Uh, one of the ways we've classified those energies is actually as aliens. We've, we've compartmentalized something like... Um, We've, we've, we've taken these generic energies and we've compartmentalized them in different ways. And this is going to sound very extreme for a lot of you, but uh, the way I conceptualize it is something like there's no difference between the angels, between the Greek gods, between the Roman gods, between uh, any of the entities or energies that you've heard before described in a specific way. Um, what they are is all the same energies described in, from a different perspective, similar to how the religions are all the same, different perspective on the same thing. The reason I bring that up is because these, if... If we've if you've watched ancient aliens before, I'm basically about to preach the same message uh, that there is a. How do I put this? There's a there's a, a myriad of different ways to experience reality in the honeycomb way that Bethany described in the ending of last episode so that uh if the universe is something like this grand experiment, like, like the secular world puts it, then there's going to be a myriad of different uh organisms and a, and a levels to those organisms. Uh, what type of embodiment do they have and at what uh, perspective do they have in that embodiment so that we would have both in, uh, entities and energies that are similar to us, maybe that look different uh, in this universe. We'd also have entities and energies that don't have a body. That would be just energy. We'd have entities and energies that are kind of something that we couldn't conceptualize, made up of some kind of different matter from a different area of space and time, or maybe a place where there is no time, or maybe there's a place where the time is more fundamental. All of these things, right? So that or those can interplay, you know, if you if you look into like the scientific world, if you looked into string theory and, and membrane theory, there's this in membrane theory specifically, there's like this idea that there's 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 millions upon millions or unlimited amounts of multiverses mm-hmm. all laid out in this sheet like fabric, all very closely aligned to each other. And that big bangs or restart periods or something like this is when these fabrics touch and collide and there's a transmission of energy from one to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe it's not just big bangs that happens that way. I'm thinking if those those membranes are so close together that they are kind of almost the same thing and that you ha- it's only a matter of perspective that gives you difference the on it. The capacity to understand that they could yes. transport or so, cross between. What Bethany, before I get way too far off of this, sorry about the soapbox guys. What Bethany was saying, I think, relates in my mind to aliens in some way, because I do believe uh, and I think we can talk about all three of us. It might be a good time to talk about our experience that we had in Washington, if you're comfortable with it. Um, But that there are these other energies that plays that I do think communicate both telepathically, psychically in some way that are uh, engaging. And I think there's both uh, maleficent and good natured versions of those. That's the best way we can conceptualize it. Ones that are rooting for the human race and ones that are kind of rooting against the human race. Uh, and that, what would you guys say? I said malevolent. Malevolent. Maleficent's a lady with horns. Maleficent. Maleficent like, I guess is the better way. But you a get really my point. interesting yeah. character to bring up for yes. some of the things that Sorry. have been going on That's in my brain rant. right now. Because <laughs> as you were talking about whether or not I wanted to share that experience, I was thinking about the fact that Baron 
who's the person that I think was an alien, uh, was always trying to get me to pay attention to superheroes. And in the movies, superheroes are basically aliens. Yes. Right? And Mm -hmm. and then... Quite often. I mean, yeah. And then uh, Wonder Woman... Thor's an alien. Yes. But Wonder Woman, in her story, right, she discovers that Ares is the one, Ares, the Mm -hmm. god of war, is the one whispering in everybody's ears. Yes. And Mm -hmm. he says... Basically, he feels like it's his duty, essentially, right? Because he wants to prove that humans can Duty be tempted, can yes. be influenced that, mm-hmm. and, that, and that it's not even that he's evil or bad, it's that, that humans are capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's similar to the Lucifer, they can Lucifer be, archetype. Can, exactly yes. what I was getting yes. at. So I think that it's interesting that we have Ares, the god of war, and then the devil card as one, as one example, right? And then Diana, who is uh, the goddess of the hunt in mm-hmm. in what from my research, but she's actually really kind of acting out of love, and everything that she's doing is out of love, and that's yes. why she doesn't understand like why why everybody's acting the way that they are. So that is really kind of love versus duty, but also like her duty is love for people. Yes, yeah, I think I worded that properly. So it seems like the lovers, which is all about choices, mm-hmm. really applies to the idea of Diana because it comes to a point where she starts to kind of see what Aries is saying and it almost for a second seems like she's going to change her mind and sway the other direction mm-hmm. and then she changes her mind and says okay no that's not that's not where I want to go which I think is really interesting it's that it's important. the lovers because that's the Gemini card and my soldier is is a Gemini yes so duality is also a big thing here I agree well I thought that something I was thinking about like you were saying external forces causing people to fight and shit like that uh but and also with you talking about um um different energies and just different ways of seeing it and how like angels and 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 then the Greek gods and everything they could be kind the same of thing. the same entity. Yeah. Well it's, it's kinda of makes me think about the concept of the god of the gaps, which is something a lot of uh scientists, a term scientists use and people who are really into explaining everything through science they'll use because uh we've through eight three three from way 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 back in the way back, everything was gods, everything was spirits, everything was whatever, because mm-hmm. we had no clue how anything worked. It's like yes. rain fell out of the sky. What happened? Uh, I think a god spitting on us. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> right, sounds lightning. Right, what's that? I don't know. Thor threw a lightning bolt at us. Fuck. Fine. Yes. Thor. Let's not piss him off. Because the power of those things too. If you ever stand in a lightning storm without mm-hmm. like cover or anything like that, it's powerful. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. And like it's intimidating. It's something that's out coming from the sky, and you're like, "What else could it freaking be?" You yeah, know yeah. I mean? like it's something bigger than me. I can't see it, but it's powerful and it but, could kill me. But all these things we've explained, <laughs> you know I mean? and so and but there's still things we haven't explained, and so you still have you got people have this idea. Well, we've explained these seven things, and there are these three things we haven't explained. So those things must have an explanation, a simple explanation like these other things did. Well, maybe they don't. Like. Like we were yes. discussing with uh, photons last time, we don't really know why they do some of the things they do. <gasps> Maybe someone out there does. I don't know. Sorry if I'm wrong. I think, but yeah, but uh, it's a kind of thing. Well, I mean, and what's the difference between a god and an alien, or a god and a uh, yeah, a, uh, a what is it like a? <sighs> well, we would classify a discharge it as, of yeah. power from in the atmosphere or something like that. Like we yeah. we know why it happens. We but we don't know that there's nothing acting upon it that we don't understand what's causing that to happen. I mean, there could yeah. be something acting upon it. Just because we know why it's happening doesn't mean that something didn't make it do that. I'm not saying that Thor exists and that he's throwing lightning bolts at it, but I'm saying that sort of thing. Just we're so 
proud of what we figured out as people. Like, all right, we got to the fucking end of this this string. This is what it's from. Yeah, well, the last fuckers who thought it was Thor throwing lightning bolts at him thought they had it figured out, too. Yeah. So now we know there's this discharge of atmosphere. Like, okay, so we got it. Okay, that's the end of it. That's all there is. Got it. All right. It's a good thing we've reached the pinnacle of human evolution and we've got it all figured out now. <laughs> it's the concept of the of the fish in the water. Or like the, uh, if you were a fish in the ocean and you went up to another fish and you asked, you asked them to explain to you what water was, uh, you wouldn't have a concept of what the substrate you're in is separate than your world right so there's no way i can describe to you if i was a fish and had never been outside of water what water looks like or how it acts in any other form than the way that i see around me yeah, yeah. but it still acts in other forms mm-hmm. right it moves it has all of these other forces that the moon is acting on it something you'd never be able to see as a fish right these kind of things are, i think are true at every level of existence and what you're describing is something like there's these built-in limitations at every perspective. What You can find the edge of each perspective, and how you'll know you're there is you'll get down to a very singular idea every mm-hmm. time. You know what I mean? It's a singular, it's a doorway similar to life and death. You'll get down to one point. You know what I mean? And that's why you can never get away from the one point, which is why secular worldview is such a, a funny perspective to find embodying the ego so much in the modern day. Because it's something like, this expert analysis, this expert opinion, right? This idea that we uh-huh. figured everything out. I think that you were getting at is something is something like one of the most audacious and comedic expressions of ego that I've ever seen. At, it's like this. At the same time, yeah. I just like to point out that I'm aware that most scientists are perfectly willing to accept the fact that they don't fucking know. True. Yeah, true. Most and people who are really at yes. the at the yes. edge of science, really <laughs> actually studying it and learning it and working on it, they are perfect. Like you say. You've got to. Fi- they, they're at that point. They're like, we got it figured out. And then some other guy says, I just saw this thing that makes it look like that's not true. They're like, oh fuck, it must not be true. And then they'll go at it again. What I'm talking about is there are a lot of people who treat treat science as a new religion. The whole thing is like the pastor said last week, and so I must accept it. I, is is the same as people say uh, they've they've done a test and or they've done a study. Whoever the fuck they are. I think I said the same thing a couple times last time we were on is whoever the fuck they are, because they are figuring all sorts of cool shit out. But we don't know who they are. And people just quote them, well, whoever they are. So th- think about um, what you were talking about. I think it's an interesting point. It's interesting to point out that. Uh, I agree with you with most scientists that have like prefer- like that practice. I think what you're referring to is like the scientific method, which is treated as something like a Bible or a gospel in the, in the scientific world as something like if you repeat these steps, then it'll keep you. Um, what's what's the right word? Uh, objective. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but the thing that's never taken into account there is that you're also a perspective. So there is no objective truth out of a perspective. There's only a perspective. There's only subjective truth. Yeah, but it does keep you in the as close to it as it tries to get you there. But what I'm, what I'm saying is one of the things that, and I agree with you that, that, that I I get frustrated with in the secular world and why I rail against it in the way I just did is because what I hear, uh, when I listen to some of the more prevalent figures in those communities talk is this kind of circular talk, uh, about, uh, finding some kind of answer or solution, uh, Mm -hmm. to something like the problem of the universe or the, uh, the equation of the universe, right. Trying to find the code of it. Um, still in a weird way trying to find the source of it, uh, but in the same way denying uh, the concept of source in everything else that we already have, right? Mm-hmm. In all of these other religions. And like you said, I think in a way making a religion out of it so that I do wonder uh, if most scientists don't hold, if you, if you, this is a fundamental concept that Nietzsche uh, put forward. Something like if you delete God or the concept of source, 
then you'll search for it. You'll delete the fundamental thing that drives human beings that actually drives innovation mm -hmm. uh, is actually the questioning of what we are. So that if you if you <coughs> get us trapped in a circle, we'll stay at that point and we won't go past it. Which is why I think we can start bringing up things like psychic abilities and telekinesis and all these other powers, because the only way you would unlock those is they exist, exist in this magical spiritual realm that we've labeled as something like foo-foo, something like not real. The scientific mm -hmm. community and, and secular community has done that, yeah, yeah. I think. But that's the next, what I truly believe is that's the next step. That's, I think, what some of these aliens or whatever entities we're talking about use as a, a higher form of communication, a, a lower latency, higher bandwidth form of communication in the way that Elon Musk is trying to create with a microchip in your head. Mm -hmm. I, what I'm so frustrated about all this is like, we already have it. You don't need a microchip. You don't, we don't need to augment ourselves. Fundamentally, the thing we are is already connected to the web of life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that you don't need this other like auditory form. It's a, in a weird way we're limiting ourselves. And so anyway, before we get too much further off of topic, like I think uh, I tend to do, Bethany, did you have anything else to add on that? I know we kind of went off on a tangent, but... Well, I could just continue talking about the stuff that I was pulling up. Yeah. And then as you were talking about like aliens and stuff, I looked over at the galactic heritage cards and thought maybe there might be some additional information in there that I could use. But my quote that I chose is very simple and it says, love is a better teacher than duty. And it's by Albert Einstein. Hmm. At least according to Amazon, it is. Which, interestingly enough, segueing from the secular worldview and everything we just railed against, he's usually presented, excuse me, as a figure or kind of a figurehead of the secular world. Right, um, correct. Right? And I've actually spoken before about, you sent me in that episode, Albert Einstein quote, uh, in the one where I got a bunch of numerology hits and things. Well, yeah. even though that that is like what he's known for, like when I had my awakening, I started, I started seeing a lot of patterns and sequences yeah. and things and that's what I consider de like spiritual decoding mm. so whether he saw it as a spiritual thing or not I still think he was and feel that he was a very enlightened individual he just used a different vocabulary and as you were saying was trying to bring it into a more um, well like secular material a way that people of this world could understand which is funny because they think it's very difficult for people to understand him mm -hmm. but I remember I kept writing E equals MC squared. And what I wrote was ever as in like forever equals matter mm -hmm. plus Christ, mm -hmm. the energy of Christ. So E E equals MC squared and then rooted times two. And I didn't really figure out what the two part had to do with, except I would imagine like duality and then partnerships mm -hmm. with the actual number two means, um, but I just thought that was interesting. So when I saw the quote, I was like, okay, I'll go with that one. Cause usually I do Carl Jung stuff, but yeah. Albert Einstein was a person who popped up for me um, at the time. And while I'm certain, certain if I took an IQ test now, it wouldn't be as high at the time. I remember taking a test and scoring really, really high. And being like, oh my gosh, I'm so smart. I'm a genius, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then when I thought I was crazy and started praying and I was like, I want this to stop. I want this to stop. I went and did the IQ test again and it was not anywhere near the same. Yeah. So the, there's something about the state of your state of mind. Consciousness. Your, yeah. yeah. Your state of consciousness that allows you to tap into this language that is like, like, um, just a known language that's unknown. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, no, it's, uh, love. 
Say your quote one more time. Love is a... Love is a better teacher than duty. Love is a better teacher than duty. I guess so. What we should do real quick, because we, we haven't really talked about it specifically, duty I, yet, but let's I, I looked up the it. definitions yeah, already. Yeah, let's go with it. I, I, I beat it. you to it. So You're, I defined duty and love. Okay. Um, I, I just, on Google, it says, uh, as a noun, a moral or legal obligation, a responsibility. So the example is, it's my duty to uphold the law. And I think that's a really good example. Um, number two is the task or action that someone is required required to perform. The queen's official duties. Hmm. That's interesting. So again, two meanings, like we similar to how we had mystery the other night. But um, what I find interesting is the social dynamic. It says morals. You know, there's a moral uh, emphasis on the first one, right? But I think that speaks of honestly something like a social pressure uh, yeah, in social a weird moral. way, right? Um, because uh, one of the other things I found in the, in the second in the second definition is it's speaking of something like a internal knowing or knowing that knowing of the things you have to complete, right? If it says that you have duty to complete something, then there's something that you have to complete, right? And I think when we talk about duty uh, in the modern context or in the military context, at least, um, there's both at play. Right. Uh, and one of the things I talked about at the beginning was kind of me having this conception of wanting to go to the military, give back and protect this idea of freedom, all of it. Right. This duty. Right. Mm-hmm. To go and give back the social pressure to go and give back, but also this kind of internal knowing that I needed to. Right. Um, I think that there's a necessity to duty that we don't probably identify, but we don't probably apply either. It's similar to the way that I confused it at a young age. Right. Um Again, not trying to down talk the military at all because I would never change my decision to go into the military. Uh, I am the person I am today because of it, right? But uh, that being said, uh, my duty at that time was to go into the military because I had this internal knowing, this con- this this duality, like I said, in that definition. Both I knew internally that that's something I needed to do, but also that was something that I was being called well, to. You're at saying a social need, level. but by d- the definition, uses words like obligation and required, mm-hmm. which would suggest that someone or something encouraged true, you to true. feel or think that you had an obligation yes. to to give or reach or you know return exactly. and also to join and in, in similar in the way that we were talking about the fundamental aspect of the military being a, a kind of a with the relating to Aries being a fundamental thing right war at least being a fundamental thing well I guess what I'm saying is the route to who I am today, there was no way through it besides through the route I went. Now, does that mean that anybody else has to go through the route that I went? No, but it also means that if we take into and accept what you said before, then the route that I went did did have to go through something like that kind of energy. So to understand myself more fully and being an Aries, it makes sense, right? That this has to take place. Now, I think one of the things we have to separate is what the reason I brought it up in that context is both being at play is I think a lot of the times it's very easy to have the social dynamic uh, kind of overwhelm you. I think this is, and um, I, I speak to anyone, I guess, that is going through the decision because I know it was a hard decision for me to make. I'm sure it was a hard decision for you to make uh, because it is hard to sort out uh, what do you want to do versus what do I need to do? Right? Mm-hmm. Is this something I need to f- discover in myself, right? Is there some aspect of this that's going to provide a learning experience that I need, right? Or maybe there is uh, some uh, some other benefit to it that I'm not seeing right now, right? That this this calling uh, why do people go in and serve in this the peace corps right uh, why do people go and do all of these other myriad of activities there's a way in which we could try to define it and say that yes there's a right and wrong decision that there's right and wrong organizations all of this but i guess the point i'm trying to get to 
is that duty is something like um, knowing where you're supposed to go. And sometimes the markers on that are the social indicators, are the other people influencing you so that you have to balance it with your internal knowing and the indicators of the people around you. I, right. I, I'm not trying to interrupt you. I just think it's funny. You keep using the word internal knowing. Knowing is what you're saying. And because we were talking about Einstein, yeah. I was looking for an Einstein quote that I didn't find. So I don't worry about it because I might have made it up. But one that I did find was uh, he said, any idiot can know what you need to do is understand. Mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah. that's one of the things, which I think not not to call you an idiot, but no, I know it really yeah, fits yeah. with the with the knowing you keep on saying, I knew I needed to do this. Mm-hmm. My I know that this is the thing that I need to do. But under, like like what you're saying is understanding why that's what you need yeah. to do or why you think that's what you need to do or why. True. Yeah. Which kind of I just kind of play because that's what you were saying is like you knew this, but, you know, there are other options that you didn't mm-hmm. really know at the, or think about at the time. So I can't think that kind of uh, ties in. We have a lot of quotes we didn't plan on having this. So, this, it's okay. this, no, I, this is interesting. I, I love where it's going. Maybe because I'm a life path five and authority and all of that sense stuff just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. When we speak of duty, I don't apply it in a, in, a, in a, as positive as I think you guys might do. I yeah, see it no, as, I, as, as like a form of control mm-hmm. to, to me, it's to me well, and I could be wrong. Hold on. Well, hold no, your thought. I'm not Wait, arguing, but okay. Let me, okay. But so I was, Researching it further into the quote, the love versus duty. Yeah. And so I actually typed in duty versus love. And the first quote or thing that popped up, I don't know if it's an actual quote, but it's from an article. So I'll give you the information for that later. I screenshotted it. I don't know who it's by or anything, but I just thought it was interesting. And it says, love always encompasses duty, but duties can be performed without love. With duty alone, one has a checklist. That checklist mm. contains everything that must be done morally and legally to fulfill obligations. Dutiful acts are often praiseworthy, such as ministering to an aging relative or caring for young children. So, for my Gemini that was a soldier, okay, that was in the infantry, right? Yeah. He was, uh, his, his duty was to perform tasks that his heart and his head did not align with. He didn't mm-hmm. want to do. And it caused a lot of problems for him. So that's kind of what I'm getting to with the word duty and how it applies to the military. Again, not because I have anything against the military. I just think that there is a certain certain way in which when people return or when they're going through those things, I don't think um, there's not just enough mental support, but the True. proper spiritual support <clears throat> to keep them in line. So if they choose to, to you know... Um, stay loyal to their duties even if they don't like it for whatever reason they understand the higher the mm-hmm. higher purpose or the bigger intent behind it they can at least uh do enough internal uh reflecting to sit with the mm-hmm. actions and the choices that they've made yeah. they can find that forgiveness they can hopefully um combat a little bit of that ptsd yeah. that they experience yeah well uh something i was uh, kind of toyed with mentioning because that's one of the things that uh I'd like to point out that we're aware of the fact that Memorial Day has nothing to do with me and Chris. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Memorial Day, <laughs> uh, look, armed service. What is it? Armed Forces Day is for those who serve. Veterans mm-hmm. Day are for those who have served. And Memorial Days are and Memorial Day is for those who can no longer serve or something like that. But basically, it's those who passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, tying on to what you're what you're talking about, most of the people I served with who are no longer with us killed themselves. Me, me as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and some of them while they were in the service, and some of them yes. just when they got home. A lot of people don't don't uh, 
don't make the transition. Yes. And I mean, yeah, that's kind of what they say. Yeah, they didn't transition back into society raw. And on on a less serious note, people give me shit sometimes about uh, doing sailory shit, saying things like I'm a sailor, doing things like I'm a sailor, thinking of things like I'm a sailor. And they said, you've been out for 10 years. You should be back to normal to some extent. I'm like, well, a lot of people put a lot of time and effort using a lot of methods that have been researched over hundreds of years to make me into a sailor. <laughs> when I stopped being a sailor, not one person took one goddamn minute to try to make me back into a civilian. Yes. They said, all right, good job, man. Fuck off. Yep. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like, like you say. Well, and I think it's a good. There, there yeah. are, there are things out there, but it's not. Also, yeah, I mean, there's that stigma, stigma that people have of, just no i got it i got this i'm fine i'm mm-hmm. i don't need anything like that um and going back to what i was saying like a lot of people i mean like they're aware of the the damage that's done through combat service and yeah other hazardous duties but they don't think about like i was saying you're you're just a hair away from being in trouble all the time mm-hmm. so if you're in the i was in <sighs> for seven years like you distract yourself but there's a certain level of anxiety for pretty much that whole time You've got a training cycle. You've got uh, an inspection. You've you've just got to go out and have a good weekend and hope you don't end up in front of the old man on Monday yeah. because you had drunk and lost your wallet. I went to a mass for losing my fucking wallet because mm-hmm. I had been drinking when I lost my wallet. So I had to explain that I was drinking by myself. And at that point, all armed forces in Japan had to have a Liberty buddy if they were drinking. So I was drinking by myself, lost my wallet, couldn't get back on the ship without security. Here he says, have you been drinking? I quite obviously been drinking. So so I, I got 30 days restriction for getting drunk and losing my wallet. And yeah. losing my wallet was a pretty big pain in the ass in itself. So it's, they, you know, I, I, I think it is pr- uh, proper to adjust the perspective here. Uh, in the podcast, like you said, and kind of clarify it because it is Memorial Day. And um, but as Justin outlined, you know, we're uh, it isn't a, rem- a remembrance day or an o- a day to honor active military or anything like that. It's a day to remember the people that have passed on that we're serving. Uh, and as uh, Bethany was pointing out that we uh, her cousin has passed um, and served. Uh, and so there's there's energy of that around us right now, too. And I feel like it's important that we enunciate uh, properly both our respect for the people that have gone before us. Uh, and our gratitude uh, for their sacrifice. We talk about sacrifice today, uh, but uh, I think realizing that the fundamental aspect of sacrifice in life that people, uh, regardless of whether they intend to or not, sacrifice themselves every single day, right? Uh, and that that sacrifice deserves to, deserve to be recognized uh, and so often is not. Uh, and that's, I think, the point I really want to focus on right now um, is this aspect of a unrecognized sacrifice. Uh, now, this doesn't only uh, apply to the military, even though it is on, on Memorial Day. Um, this actually applies to you individually as a listener. It applies to everybody. Um, when we talked about duty before and when we kind of got in, the, in the, the weeds there with it, I think um, at least myself, I was thinking about it, I think, a little bit too much in a, in a philosophical way. But I think if we apply duty to the concept of that to sacrifice the people that have gone before us, uh, then it takes on a different kind of definition, maybe than even the ones that we've kind of defined already. And I think maybe this is the one I speak of is there's this aspect that regardless of whether people know it or not in the moment, that duty sometimes tends to be the thing that calls people to, um, in a weird, in a weird way, greatness, right? Um, 
Now, it doesn't have to manifest in the military way, and it can manifest in your life in any way. It can manifest in what you want to make happen. But I guess what I'm saying is there's a tricky way in which even the people that didn't mean uh, or intend to sacrifice themselves in the way they did, right, uh, that went before us, their sacrifice and their duty, uh, the way in which they enacted duty in their life, um, needs to be honored. And I think that's why it's such a tricky thing to define duty and to speak of it as kind of a... Um, to speak of it in either positive or negative terms because it's similar to anything else. It's something like a, an idea that has both positive and negative perspectives attached that, to it, right? That's fair, because as, yeah. as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how, like, for one, I do, quote-unquote, shadow work. Yeah. So I, I'm a medium, which means that I have the ability to communicate with those who've passed away. And just because they've passed away doesn't mean that all of their traumas and the things that they've experienced have uh, left them. So in a way, because I have the ability to connect with and understand them, I feel and have expressed that it is my duty to to kind of be the voice for them, to stand up for them. Not because yeah. I'm picking or choosing what's right or wrong or picking a side or anything. It's just that that's what I understand. That's your sacrifice. And that's where my value is. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. to and yes, it has been a huge sacrifice. It's been a huge sacrifice for Jessen because yeah. he's been supporting me as not just my friend, but making sure that my kids and I have a safe place to live. He was there during the near death experience and the weird things with the aliens. And when my cousin who passed away and when I realized it was a medium started speaking to me. But not only that, me doing this um, requires a certain level of uh, sacrifice, I guess. Yeah. Because when I come into contact with new people and I, I develop really strong bonds with them, I'll pull out or mirror any shadow yeah. that they either have internally or have following them. And then it turns into this really big nightmare. And anyone who who is like a shaman or does shamanistic energy work, healing practices, understands that when you are doing that kind of stuff... That energy is actually taken on to you. So you are sacrificing yes, yourself. That's how you experience it. Yeah. Which is something that I wanted to bring up about, about soldiers or people going to the military because those who are gifted are going into the military, probably being told that they're yes. bipolar, ADD, ADHD, or something else, or it's unrecognized. And they're actually taking on or even experiencing traumatic things, even actually performing traumatic things that doesn't really sit well with them. And And then we tend to go and do these traumatic things in places where trauma has been happening for a long time. Well, I mean, imagine being a medium and going into the infantry and having to take a life Yeah, and then coming back home, not knowing you're a medium. Also in a place where people just like you have been going and taking lives for the last 500 years. Yeah. Yeah, is I it mean, PTSD we, or those we, nightmares? We seem nightmares? to be liking the same war zones quite a lot over the last century or so. So there's a lot of pile up. They say that they're being haunted by their actions, their nightmares, all of these memories because they're haunted. actually being haunted. They're haunted. Yeah, exactly. they're actually being haunted. And that's why it's hard to define. Is why it's one of the things that we have a hard time uh, 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 fixing, eight. right, um, in people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hate the way we talk about these things. That's another aspect. It, well, it's it's, like, it, 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 there's experiences. Um, like you just said, that are are uh, can be so traumatic and so terrifying that if you don't recognize what you are at a fundamental level, you're not going to be able to to uh, reconcile with what the energy is of the of the experience. And I think that we do people a disservice. Many of them, military members, eight five eight. When I say this one, um, <clears throat> when we don't properly recognize that sacrifice, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean. Um, go, go ahead, Justin. Sorry. Oh no, no. It was something I was thinking about when you were talking about sacrifice earlier, and something Beth was saying about um 
not having the same concept of duty or duty as a positive thing. I think another problem we have is. And I see people use this as a tool quite often in political in political spheres is you can respect and honor someone for their sacrifice and their duty without accepting the need for it, which I think goes back to entertaining an idea without fully accepting it, because a lot of times like. I mean, there there are good arguments for us not going into several conflicts over the last, mm-hmm. let's say, century. Let, let's stretch it there, back there a little bit. Let's yeah. let's stretch yeah. it back so it doesn't have to be anything fresh. But there there, there are arguments for not yeah. engaging in any con any conflict we've been in. Let, hey, let's go back to the the Spanish American War. I don't think I'm going to offend anyone on that one. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, what was the ship that blew up in the uh, in in Havana Harbor? I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name. Was it now. the Beagle? Something like that. It was that something sounds, weird. That sounds right. Yeah. Let's go with the Beagle. Don't Google it, guys. I think that might be the one right, went so, up north. But okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, so, yeah. There's evidence that that was not a bomb. There's pretty good evidence yeah. that there was not that a, it was not a bomb. That it just something went wrong. But we were looking for a good reason to fight the Spanish, so that was a good one. So we went with it. Me saying that should not be viewed as any sort of indictment of those people who sacrificed their lives and served their countries in that war. That war might have been a bad idea. It might have been a fucking awful misuse of those people's duties and and, uh, (laughs) devotion to their country. But that's not something that they did wrong. So I I see this because, like Beth was saying, she doesn't see duty as the same positive thing. Also, there's this thing where people tend to find it very easy to assign virtue to their own characteristics so maybe for whatever reason the way we were raised the way we were born some energy that's inside of us we were hmm. predisposed to that concept of duty yeah that's a good and point it's actually so it's a really since we did it it's easy to say well it's a really good thing i know it's a really good thing because i'm fucking awesome and i did it yes so it's that same thing. It's easy to assign virtue to your own. We'll take one of the perspectives of the du- dualistic thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, like you know, only only view it from that angle. And so, yeah, no, Beth not sense. having the same uh, predisposition to that form of duty, she doesn't see it as the same positive thing. In that the we same see way it. that we did it. Yeah, right? yeah. And so it's it's the I I see your point, and I I think it's a good point too. But the, there's a aspect of. Um, that I really want to kind of transition into looking at duty as a definition again, but kind of thinking about it in the second definition in the thing that calls you to what you're supposed to do. Okay. But let's think about it in this, in the way we think about in spiritual terms in your life. Okay. I think everybody right now, a lot of people out there in this world are kind of the fundamental question of at least the millennials and Gen Z right now is kind of what is my purpose? Lost purpose. What is my meaning? Right. Uh, and I, I kind of feel this, this calling. I felt it myself for a long time. I see it in, you know, friends and family around me. I see it kind of in the world and the, in the media that we create. And I think, um, what that's demonstrating is kind of this misunderstanding of the definition of internal duty. Um, something like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What duty do I have to myself? Right. And I kind of want to take the definition and flip it inwards duty, but inwardly, what does it mean to have to, to, uh, to act in a dutiful way towards myself, right? And uh, what I, the only way that I can think about that a- after asking myself that question is, okay, well, what are you supposed to do? And it's a weird question to ask yourself because if you accept or understand um, 
kind of any of the other spiritual ideas I've talked about at different points, then time doesn't exist and all these other things, right? So how is there a future and a past? Well, I think that there is some kind of intermingling of these ideas that the fabric of nature isn't like a future and a past, not linear, but there's also a way in which we experience it that way. So in order to understand our meaning, we kind of have to ask ourselves the question, what am I supposed to be? Even though it's not really defined, it's not defined yet, right? But the question still needs to be asked. And then you have a duty to enact that in your life. Right? You have a duty to yourself to honor yourself and enact the highest version of yourself in your life. But there is a way in which we've taken this internal duty where it's supposed to be placed externalized it and then placed it in organization structures, structures and ideas and then used it to motivate people. Right. So we're like, and it's a very effective way to motivate people because you're taking a fundamental thing that they need to solve internally and saying, Hey, the way you solve it, it's right here. Right. But you can't solve it that way. And so what does it cause inside of the individual? Something like an identity crisis, post-traumatic stress disorder, something like that. When you can't rationalize why you would do something uh, that you wouldn't normally do. Well, you wouldn't. Because that duty, that internal sense of duty has been externalized. You've been disconnected from it so that you act in ways other than you. And I think that's kind of what talking about what you were saying. Well, I think when you were talking about that earlier, that while the word duty isn't a synonym, like, yeah, synonym to the word dependable. But uh, I think duty is kind of like a measurement of how dependable you are mm. or are not. But to what is it to yourself and your own true beliefs to, you know, something that you decided to commit to, like a job, a career, mm. a marriage? Um, it, 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 it varies. But when I was talking earlier or what somebody was, I, I butted in and I said eight, five, eight. Yes. And so I looked up the angel number in. It's not totally spot on with everything, but it did use some of the key words that we were talking about earlier. And it says the meaning of number 858, as well as the meaning of angel number 2017, that's weird, is reassuring you that you're doing a good job taking care of people in your life. You are the pillar of strength and someone they can depend on during times of difficulties. Being dependable has helped you with all your achievements and it has strengthened both your personal and professional relationships. The angel number 858 is telling you that you should be proud. Being the person that people turn to during times of crisis is a big deal. It says a lot about you as a person and the kind of influence you have on others. When you keep seeing 858, the divine realm is encouraging you to keep up the good work. You are someone reliable, even if it means sacrificing your own time and resources. Yes. So there is a weird way in which duty is incorporated into that idea or responsibility. At least I think it spoke of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah, th- th- there's a responsibility. I think that everybody has, no, it doesn't say responsibility. what did it say? There was a, there was a way in which it said something else that I was keying on there. Here. Sorry about the delay there. Guys. Um, dependable. Right. That was the word I used. So, dependable. You know, dependable, but dependable to who? To other people, right? Or dependable to like, and, and if not to other people, then to what? That's what I just said. Yeah. Like, what are you dependable to? And I think when we're talking about angel numbers, well, you're dependable to them. Who are them? Right. And in what way would they maintain? How how would they how would they communicate to you? The path to maintain that dependable nature. Well, the way that I know it, if the psychic abilities are true, which I believe they are because they've manifested inside of me, I've seen them manifest in other people. 
is through those, through your emotions, that they'll communicate to you where you're supposed to go, as I was just saying, right? Like through something like how you you feel it, you feel called to it, you feel pulled to it, that internal duty, right? Mm -hmm. Drive of some sort. Uh, that's something like an innate thing that uh, when properly embodied will drive you towards what you're supposed to do. Now, supposed to is a weird way to think about it, too, because that that kind of also defines a, a finishing point. There isn't one, but it's the way that we have to talk about it because it's the perspective well, we live in. This is a thought that kind of popped into my head while you're talking about the externalizing of the internal duty and yeah, kind of viewing it as a manipulation, like trying to mm -hmm. trying to control certain type by, of it. by using this. But Not I see this kind of a either. different yeah. thing because uh, and this just by fucking random chance is a military thing, but it, it just is. Uh, I think it was uh, British engineers. They measured like a thousand pilots or something like that and like did their arms and legs and hip width and all, all sorts of shit. Did all sorts of measure biometrics and things like that of these pilots and they came up with an average so they could make a cockpit that would fit the average person so they could just make one cockpit and everyone would be able to fit into it because it was the average of everyone yeah. and so it would be it'd be close on everybody and they'd be fit and not one motherfucker could sit in that airplane yeah because the average person doesn't exist so it's yeah. kind of this thing where this we've created like you say we've created this structure the shoehorn and shoehorning people into it yes. for them to be able to accomplish their duty whatever it may be but the thing is is, is it's the aggregate of a thousand fucking pilots that we measured yes. and it doesn't actually fit anyone perfectly. There are people who can say it's comfortable. They're like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's the average. And I think that that means it's a good thing. So I'm going to I'm going to say it's comfortable. I'm going to sit in it. I'm going to say that it's the right thing, but it's not really. And it's not so much a. Uh, I know no, it's, it's, it's it's its own creature that's feeding itself. It's. There's no they. That's yeah, there is you, no you, they. You answered they, question they, they yes. is all of us. Yes, exactly right. And that's a, that's a really good point to make. Uh, that the re how we get here is something like best intentions every time. That there's we've uh, we we've been reading a book uh, together. I, I think you've read the full thing before, but it's called Dark Psychology. Uh, it's a really interesting book, good read for a lot of people, especially if you've been through some hard things in your life. Right, it'll kind of maybe put some context to them for you. But there's ways <coughs> in which. Uh, people every day, everybody manipulates other people, uh, everybody around them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this manipulation, a lot of times, uh, both is disguised in or in both ways, in both people, both the person manipulating and the person being manipulated in something like best intentions. Yeah, yeah. Something like I'm doing this out of love or I'm trying to kind of help you or I'm trying to, you know, whatever this is, however you injustify it internally. Best. I know what's best for you. Exactly. All of this kind of stuff. You saw this play out in a very extreme way in the Joker, the new movie to the Joker with his mom, right? Kind mm -hmm. of trying to protect him and things like that. Um, anyway, that this kind of uh, uh, justification of manipulation uh, is a certain way, a thing that you'll find everywhere in your life once you start to see it it happens uh, like we were saying in certain ways with the way that we market the military right in the military experience well, in movies like our, uh, it, it happens in in media with politicians our education system educational system it happens with their food it happens with uh it'll happen in your own families it'll happen with your friendships it'll happen everywhere you'll do it with your dog you'll manipulate them into doing things with the best Never intentions push you shit. yes exactly but you'll justify it and all of these ways we'll do it constantly internally uh but that type of manipulation is still nonetheless manipulation and it pulls you further off of center off of you uh so that the only way you get away from that is to stop looking outside of yourself it's the only way mm. you know what i mean to center yourself to balance yourself and to focus on that duty to take that duty away from other people and other things and be like no that's mine 
It's actually what makes me unique. A uh, similar concept I've talked about here before is sacrifice, right? We were talking about sacrifice at the beginning. I think that's the card that you pulled about the game uh, that uh, on the, the deck that we weren't really expecting to relate very well. Uh, but about the island tribe that has this game, right, where they ride the horses and they they, they have this bloodletting ceremony, it's an Indonesian. essentially Indonesian. Exactly. Um, well, you have this this way in which the uh, external the idea of duty, I think, has been externalized uh, there. It's a good example of it. Uh, and then the sacrificial aspect of it we talked about as well. And that's kind of what I was getting to is is there's a way in which you need to sacrifice the idea of yourself every day. The way you do that is through actually in a weird way, taking that sense of duty away from other people and other things and other places, because it's also when you do that, it's their responsibility then too, right? We can blame it and flip it the other way and project and be like, no, 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 no. Because you're also doing these things to me because you're manipulating me in these ways. And I see them now, not my problem anymore. Problem is, yeah, it is still is your problem, <laughs> right? So uh, you still have to take that responsibility back and then figure out where you're supposed to go separate from all of those influences, separate from all of these things and manipulations, right? And this is something, the message I think that can extend uh, to, the, to people in the military, to people that have gone or have been in the military, to people that haven't been in the military, doesn't matter who you are, what you are, where you are, right? Um, taking that responsibility back in your life is kind of a message that has been politically overused, I mm -hmm. think. And because of that, people shut off when you say responsibility. But no, it's a, it's a message that we all need. You need to be responsible for figuring out what and who you are. It's nobody else's responsibility. And in a weird way, something that I didn't key on at the beginning is that was one of the problems I was fundamentally trying to solve myself mm -hmm. with the military. And that's maybe why I defended it a little bit is because it did do that for me in a weird way after the fact. But I had to go through the manipulation to figure it out. And would I wish it on anybody else? No, I wouldn't. I would hope that you'd be able to figure out whatever lesson you need to learn without having to go through the experiences that I had to go through. I think a lot of other military people would say that. I think that's why a lot of military men and, and women go and do that sacrifice so that other people don't have to. Mm -hmm. So that if you listen well, to mean, this and, and quite and, often, that was the whole the whole point at the beginning. Yes. You might see it as from a different perspective and what you've sacrificed and what you've done for other people. But at the beginning, that was that it may not have you may not have seen the end end goal where it ended up being. But that was probably where you thought you were headed. Yes. All right, I just flipped to a page in the book Faith and Magic in the Armed Forces, and uh, just a little paragraph popped out to me. I don't know what it means. We're going to see if it relates in any way. This is uh, from page 163. The top it says, Daring to Deploy. Out of the fire arises action, the burning within that compels us to move, to duck, to fire, to run. The quicksilver energy of flame burns within the warrior, overcoming petrifying fear, burning away momentary panic and spurring the soldier forward across the battlefield. Action is the core of the military mission. It must be in harmony with the other aspects of the warrior's heart, or else one is likely to slip into the berserker mindset and engage in behavior that is foolhardy, dangerous to the mission, or deadly both to the service person and those around them. Finally, from water arises will, those who have a strong foundation in elemental correspondences may be surprised that I place will in the domain of water. It is an apt placement for the warrior's heart. Water can be channeled. It can be focused in its flow, but it can never be truly stopped. It will overflow the dam. It will wear away the stone that blocks its path. Like the heart of a warrior, the water's course may be directed, 
but but it cannot truly be moved. Water is flexible in its movements, but constant in its composition. I don't know if you guys got anything reading that, but one of the things that I was thinking about, why, especially the first part of that, the water aspect is really interesting because Ares is what I associate with the god of war, and Ares is a, a fire element usually, or a sun element, right? Um, something usually associated with those elements, and to have water being the kind of thing uh, that the warrior needs to actually embrace to balance out the warrior heart it makes a lot of sense now that I say it. Um, because water in a similar way, what puts out fire? Water, right? Um, and then how do you get water to move? Literally boil, you, you burn it, right? <laughs> right. So it's this, it's this way in which if you properly channel the energy of water, that flowing of life, uh, then the action that you have to take, the violence that you experience in your life will take a certain type of context. And then you can define yourself as a warrior in that. You'll know that you can take a moral place in it as well because you're doing something like maintaining the balance. Mm. And in a weird way, you can you can learn this from the ancient samurai, right? Uh, that there's in a weird way in the bull and the Buddhist religions um, that the Buddhist religions came out of violent cultures, <laughs> hyper violent cultures, right? And people who don't we've we've di- we've disentangled those things. But the samurai were a hyper were a hyper violent kind of the, not the samurai, but the uh, what's the name of the system? The, the, the feudal system. The feudal system. Thank you very much. It was a very violent. Uh, way to rule lands a tribal way of doing it right and so there was a necessity in this 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 way of living to kind of um, settle scores uh, to balance things and sometimes that meant if you had nothing but feudal or violent tribes around you the only course of action is violence now the lesson that's always in all those movies, you watch The Last Samurai, whatever it is, maybe it's not the best example, but the lesson in those movies is not to be the thing that cowers to run away. It's actually to be the thing that knows when to fight. When is the proper time to stand? When is the proper time to draw your sword? And when is the proper time to take that kind of a, a, a an action? Well, um, uh, that's a it's a hard it's a hard question to that? ask yourself. What's well, that quote? Uh, there may be necessity about, in it. about why why somebody who practiced the gardener. Like, yeah, the gardener yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, it says, I'm looking it up. Yeah, the uh, guy's uh, teacher is a samurai, and he says, he says, uh, you always talk to me about peace, but you always, but yet we always train train for war. Or, and he says, he said, or why is it that you always speak of peace, but you always train me for war? And he says, well, because it's better to be, it's better to be. Oh, here we go. I don't know if it's actually Bruce Lee, but that's the quote. Uh, yeah. you like water. Well, I'm not going to yeah. say. You you teach me fighting, but you talk about peace. How do you reconcile the two? Uh, the teacher said, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's in the second Joker two, movie, too. Is it? If you notice, it's a very subtle dynamic, but what happens in the middle, in the beginning, you see him, and it opens up, and he's in the mirror, and he's trying to like pull his face into a smile, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to be happy, right? In the is second this, Joker? The, the second one with Joaquin the- Phoenix, right? Um, the newest one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see what's that. I wasn't. He, okay. You cool. weren't connecting him. You get I, what I'm saying though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I was like, they, Joaquin Phoenix is on two of them? No, no. Is what I was thinking. The, yes, the new one, I mean. Anyway, he's trying to pull his face into a smile, right? And you see him being kind of bullied by people around the city, like constantly mm-hmm. beaten down, beaten down. What does he do? He runs away, right? He tries to be kind. He tries to, you know, he, he even cowers. And then what you finally see in that movie is he's in the subway. And people are bullying him and beating him down and all that kind of stuff. And you, what they demonstrated why that movie was so meaningful is it shows you the snapping point mm-hmm. in somebody. 
when the Joker came alive inside of him, right? And it was actually, oddly enough, when he was cowering. He wasn't doing anything to defend himself. He hadn't taken one action to defend himself. And the thing that that's what actually called forth the unbalanced thing like the Joker inside of him. So in a weird way, as you were just kind of getting at with Bruce Lee, the thing you want to em- em- embody, and this is a point that a lot of people that go across the, uh, through I don't the think spiritual it's awakening a Bruce Lee quote. process. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't think it is. If it maybe it's not them. I, just I think someone just attributed it to Bruce Lee, but I, it was I don't quote think it was him. I pulled up on the phone. That's why I told oh, okay. him it's not it's, Bruce Lee. But we'll clarify. We'll put it in the show notes for you guys. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> but there's a part of the uh, the spiritual awakening process where you can get caught in this, um, and you saw this in the '60s, like peace, love, and you know, kind of uh, harmony. And this is a certain energy you'll get uh, when you connect with the totality, with the universe. You realize everything's the same thing. Why do we have to fight all this kind of stuff? Right. Um, And you can get kind of stuck there and trapped there if you're not willing to recognize these other kind of energies that exist as well uh, and and reconcile them. You'll try to eliminate them then. And in a weird way will be the undoing of everything you're trying to make, which is what happened in the 60s, right, in the 70s with that movement. So in a weird way, I do think there's a reinvigoration of those ideas right now. But that if we want to actually make it to the next level of existence, we have to recognize these things. That's why the Joker is an important movie. Don't be a wallflower. Don't let people walk all over you. That doesn't mean be a violent thing like the Joker. I'm not condemning anything he did in those movies. What I'm saying is make sure that you're not uh, allowing yourself to lose respect for yourself. Ever. You need to be able to respect yourself and stand on your own two feet. And if somebody tries to make you feel lower than them, you need to stand up for yourself through words, through your actions, not through violence. That's how you avoid violence, right? Don't be a wallflower. Now, moving on, I have two quotes I haven't gotten to yet, but do you have anything else? Uh, Well, I just have just some stuff still about love, um, about the major arcana cards for the number six. Still talking about what I first did, but I can wait to read that towards the end. But will you hand me that deck of cards, the Galactic Heritage cards? Because I I would like to see if there's anything that applies to what we've been talking about, because these are more Talking about war and sacrifice, I'm like, those are pretty. Um... (laughs) Anyway, yeah, yes. Okay. So she's going to pull some of those real quick while she's Zoom doing Zoom Alt Class Destroyer is also very nice looking. Actually, Justin, since you are not somebody who pulls cards and does divination typically, I know you do have some cards, but this isn't like something that's like right up your alley. Just to show that, like, you know, this can be done with anybody everybody. and everybody. Would yeah. you like to pull uh, no more than three cards? I, I'd keep it one, between one and three cards and see. So two. Got it. Perfect. That's what I was thinking. He read her mind. I wanted to give you a choice, though. Everything's all about choices. The illusion of choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good debate. We can do another episode on ah! that. So this uh, is <laughs> the Galactic Heritage cards. It says the first and only of their kind. This 108 card divination system based on material from Lissa Royal Holt's groundbreaking book, The Prism of Lyra, is designed to help you tap into your star lineage and karmic patterns while revealing lessons brought to Earth from the stars and how those lessons can be used in your life on Earth now. So if if I believe we're star children and we came from the stars mm-hmm. or that gods might be aliens or anything like that, then I was I was hoping maybe these cards might have some kind so. of tie I to those theories. I think of Carl Sagan's, right? We're all made out of stardust. Yes, I love Carl Sagan too. Everything's happened on that pale blue dot. <clears throat> 
Okay, so you can go ahead with your okay. quotes and stuff. So I have two quotes. The first one's going to be from Jocko Willink. I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with his work, but Jocko is a ex-Navy SEAL, uh, and he's very popular. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, he's uh, He talks about extreme ownership. It's this kind of a self-help plan that he's developed himself, uh, and it's uh, taken directly from kind of some of the tactics and methods that he learned in the military. Uh, but there's an interesting, he has a very inter- interesting perspective, and I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit. I don't know how uh, directly applicable it will be, but I have a feeling it might be. Um, but I have two of them here. Uh, the first one, uh, actually the first one, I only one from Jocko, but the first one I want to read is, uh, uh, it goes generally when a leader struggles, the root cause behind the problem is that the leader has leaned too far in one direction and steered off course awareness. And I thought it was really interesting how he ended it with awareness because I think most people would take that as okay. Uh, situational awareness. That's kind of the way we define it in the military, right? Is having your head on a swivel. Always know what's going on around you. Every time someone says the word awareness, situational Situation. awareness goes off in my <laughs> it's head. It's beaten to your head, right? Um, I think that's kind of what most people would read out of that. Uh, but what I found interesting is what Bethany was talking about just before that. Different type of awareness. Uh, and how he said that the root beh- cause behind the problem when a leader struggles is that the leader has leaned too far in one direction. He's been unbalanced in some way. In the military context, that means, you know, if you're a leader, you're responsible for the lives of other people. Right. And what would pull you out of balance? Well, I think what he's talking about is something like your ego, uh, something like a conception of yourself that isn't true. Right. Um, but that what? Nothing. I'm reading. It's, I think it's cool. I'm, I'm reading she's, this and it's cool. How much she's like shaking her head and she's really excited. So I got <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, uh, but I'm going to read the second one really quick, too. I, maybe that'll apply here in a second. I'm not sure if it's really meant for this moment. But here, uh, let's go on. This one also is by Ellen G. White. And I thought this was really interesting, too. It says. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. And I think what I liked about this uh, quote is it does kind of tie in the spiritual meaning of it too. Uh, to me, this speaks of what the kind of duty I was talking about or speaking of before, um, to be true and honest, um, to not have fear to call sin a, by its right name. Uh, and I think when they talk about sin, the proper definition of is of that is like the, the traditional one to miss the mark, right? To know when to call a spade a spade, right? Stand up for yourself, right? To take the turn when you know it's right. And we all have that internal compass, this internal sense of duty to maintain our perspective on that compass. As soon as you lose your gaze on it, you lose your way every single time. And you have a duty to maintain that, a duty to yourself to maintain your direction. That's like that. uh, It sounds a lot like that Edmund Burke quote. The only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Yes. To not act. It's not actually the actions of heroes that make the world what it is. It's the actions (laughs) of small people every day. Um, kind of making that happen, making those those massive stories possible. And that's, I think, one of the things you'll hear from a lot of Medal of Honor recipients, why it's such a heavy weight to be given that as well, I could imagine, is because uh, all of the men and women that have died and all of this, that have sacrificed in this way to be given this kind of honor mm-hmm. and to represent them in that way. You know, the Medal of Honor really is a good a good representation of the energy of Memorial Day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you are, you're, you're, a, you're a walking human embodiment of the people that have died because that's why you're getting it is you've did something that should have killed you. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And you did it knowingly. You made that sacrifice. And so you're the only in that way. It's a really it's a it's a really good way to honor to define who who is worthy of bearing that that weight. That's a heavy weight. You know, um, anyway, did you want to kind of explain what you were? So uh, there are two cards. The first card that I looked at was 63. It's a seeking karmic balance. Six plus three is nine. Okay. Um, the the tribe that the, that that it comes from is it says Pleiades. I don't know anything about those enough. I don't study that mm-hmm. um, yet, so I'm just working with the cards. But I think it's cool because first of all, the first card is 63, right? And it's on page 102 in the book, and the second card is 102 Alchemy. And then what happens is it goes 60 63 to 102, and on page. 141 456 which is number love is is card 102 does that make sense yes so it kind of connected you to yeah i I was seeing the synchronicities and also three is the number of magic and then six is love and nine has to do with endings before a cycle so i'm seeing the the synchronicities and how yeah speaking of the communication we're talking about this is one of the ways that you have communication going on i think probably between the entities we're talking about right now they're probably (laughs) that's how you call them you talk Hey, I want to talk. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's okay. We're here. You know, it's like, it's an instant connection, you know, um, but that you are being guided in that way through the numbers. Hey, this is what we want you to say. So, this so, is kind of, a, I guess, the best description of what you're talking about. I, think. I wanted yeah. to do a tarot reading on here and didn't get to do an actual tarot reading, but this is still a, I feel a guided message to those that are listening, especially ones yes. who are, who are, um, um, who can relate to the topics that we've been going over specifically, like with the military and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it 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 goes further out. It's All not of the episodes are working that same function. Well, I think, what's cool yes. is the second card really ties into the episode that we just did before yeah, with Justin. Exactly. It's so neat. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna read this to you. Okay, it's very cool. Yes, <laughs> <clears throat> it says, as a fourth to fifth destiny species in this era, Pleiadians are now experiencing a higher spiritual awakening. They recognize their past imbalances and have gained a sincere intention to balance karma. By recognizing that all things happen for a reason and learning from their choices. This card encourages you to do the same. A Pleiadian guide is most likely assisting you with this. Take an honest (laughs) look at your repeating challenges and know that karma is at work. These obstacles are gifts to help you move to the next level of your growth. Embrace them and open. Embrace them and open to the lesson they are teaching you. There's more. Okay. It's kind of long, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Okay. When the Pleiadians were a young species, they made many choices that they regretted. This created karma for many of them and for the species as a whole. But as they evolved, they learned to balance this karma by gaining wisdom about their past actions. This card refers to the era in which the Pleiadians matured as a species. They learned the lessons of their past and became committed to helping other younger species avoid making the same mistakes that they did in their past. Mm -hmm. This is one of the many reasons why they interact with humans in the present. If this card comes up in your reading, perhaps you had a Pleiadian lifetime in the ancient past when they were a young species and you are now balancing that karma. Or perhaps you have a connection with a Pleiadian being from this mature present era who is working with you now by giving you wisdom and guidance. Look to the other cards for clues, which we're going to do. It may also be possible that you are balancing karma in general and your soul desires to stop repeating old patterns from the past. This is a clear message to look at your life and your actions clearly and do whatever you can to stop repeating old destructive patterns. Always remember that wisdom neutralizes karma. 
Four, in gaining the wisdom of lessons from the past, future actions are made from a conscious place. And this is the ultimate way to balance karma. Again, page 102 in the next card. I know you want to say something. You wait. You wait. <laughs> this is cool. It's alchemy on page 141. <clears throat> that ringing in my ear when you said that. Um, this comes from the group or tribe Asani, Assassini, Assassini, which sounds like assassin. That's weird. And uh, the key word in the other card was present. This one's parallel. So I see parallel as like duality, like dualistic. Okay. So the Gemini concept again, which is interesting because this does kind of look like a it Gemini does. or the lover, mm-hmm. the lover's card, sort of. I mean, it's mm-hmm. abstract art, but Those you that don't see know, the-, the Gemini in the in the zodiac are kind of the dualistic. Uh, nature oh no it's sign, actually right? two faces look at the card it's actually two faces, two faces just like yeah. the Gemini card yeah. or just like the Gemini card just like the Gemini sign it's mm-hmm. literally two faces at the end do you see them yeah the ability to take on all perspectives right yeah. the ability to kind of maintain a, uh, a balance between those and all perspectives oh, yeah. yes that's super neat in the ideal sense yes yeah okay alright <clears throat> so the, the other card is a little alien looking thing with what looks like a like a helmet for an astronaut, but it actually looks like Earth at the same time. <laughs> and it's holding a book reading and standing on a book at the same time. So it's really interesting. This card, like I said, is pink with rainbow colors and has two faces that kind of look like Santa Claus's elves. <laughs> and also totems. Uh, totem? Totem poles? What are they called? Totems. Are they totem, totem. poles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. totems. Anyways. Um, it says integrity. Nope. It says, excuse me, wrong page. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It does, it does say integrity, but that was the wrong page. Reality, reality is created through our consciousness. Do you see how that ties? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and unconscious thoughts, emotions, and intents. When they are aligned, we become the reality that we prefer, as long as we are following our excitement, which represents the natural flow of the universe. This essential assassiny teaching is a process of alchemy but it means that we must look at our self-sabotaging behaviors and confront our shadows knowing ourselves fully only then can we come into full alignment with our true selves this card means that it is time for you to take this step clean up unfinished businesses be free and embrace synchronicity the assassiny species is a hybrid of human and zeta and is considered to be a highly evolved species assisting earth through its transition cool deep within the assassiny collective memory lie the healed lessons of the zeta orion and human species because these lessons were fully integrated the outcome is a species of pristine consciousness capable of non-polarized thought and a catalyzing energy that propels others forward into their own process of integration alchemy is the process of using two seemingly opposite forces and bringing them together for profound transformation nearly magical in nature this card also connects to the past lessons from orion that were successfully integrated if you pulled this card its meaning can vary a likely interpretation is that there has been or will be or needs to be a shift in your life circumstances that comes in an unexpected way our minds often think change is predictable and happens accordingly according to a linear model a a plus b equals c But everything we experience is the result of an alchemical process, an energetic mix of our thoughts, belief patterns, emotions, resistances, and so on. All of these variables create a powerful energetic soup that propels our trajectory. The assassini are experts in harnessing these alchemical processes and shifting the trajectory toward awakening. Now it is the 
Now it is essential to do their inner work, to do the inner work necessary to understand the forces that affect how your reality is created. See yourself clearly, including your self-defeating habits and patterns as a way to free yourself from limitation and illusion. Wow, that was really hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting though how much it ties in. And and well, like as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the zodiac signs that you were pulling, right? Like the, the Gemini, I was thinking about Gemini in terms of a zodiac sign, but also how I was talking about the gods and all of these things being the same thing. Well, also how they transmit transmute into aliens. Right. Well, what these cards are basically speaking of are these energies, these civilizations that have come before us that have developed and gone through the same transition that we're attempting to go through right now. And they're here right now. What I was going to say when you said, like, hold on, is just say hello, because we're talking with them right now. Like, that's how this is happening. That's why you were guided to those pages and those you literally speaking right there is them speaking. Well, it just us. said that there was a Pleiadian working with, with us, us directly. Exactly. Yeah. So. It's this this way in which you have to recognize that this conversation is constantly ongoing and that the way that hyper advanced civilizations communicate to you through, is actually literally through you. It's that it's that advanced. Well, and the world, <laughs> through you and the world around you. Yes, exactly. I mean, like when I first went through the awakening before I realized that I was going through an awakening and thought I was crazy. I remember there were moments where um, we, Justin and I would go through a drive through and there was this this building right next to the drive-through window on the on the right hand side and it was a psychic building and without ever thinking about it suddenly my head would just kind of like lift up and get pushed although nothing yeah, ever actually yeah. nothing ever actually pushed it i just suddenly looked up at the sign psychic yeah i was moved to it and i yeah. remember thinking how weird because I, I i i don't remember thinking like i want to look up i wasn't curious about anything mm -hmm. i was really into whatever it was i was doing at that moment but something triggered me to look up and look at the word psychic yeah and so i kept saying oh i need to go see a psychic oh i need to go see a psychic but come to find out that <laughs> they're trying to I, tell you you're I, a psychic, psychic yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly so there's this tricky nature about if you don't understand how they communicate you're going to confuse the communication <laughs> right it's like even the and even when you do is very confusing because um i do think that even the communication that we're demonstrating right now tonight in this episode is still kind of a very very primitive version of it it's something like we're just now learning how to translate this stuff so it's kind of like when you first start to learn spanish or something uh you get a couple words and because you get a couple words it clues you into kind of what they're talking about generally uh, I think it's the same kind of thing happening here. Uh, we have such a, a, a primitive uh, conceptualization of how this communication goes on uh, and how this actual method of travel goes on, I think fundamentally, uh, that when we actually pick it up, we pick it up in fragments uh, because our perception hasn't expanded to the point yet where we can actually perceive it fully. Uh, but that it is possible to do that. And that the way that you actually uh, we've described that there has been individuals that have lived before, I think, that have reached that state. Uh, it's been called nirvana. It's been called enlightenment. It's been, uh, you know, we've referred to those individuals as Buddhas, uh, as Zen masters, these kind of things. Right. Um, but also uh, the ascended masters, the people like Albert Einstein that we were talking about before. Um, I think Tesla is a good example of this. People that have uh, figured out a way to connect themselves to the Akashic knowledge base, the connection of everything else, the knowledge of all uh, and to have take your proper place in that web of life, uh, the web of existence. Uh, once you do that, uh, then the entity that is the conception of you uh, is completely and utterly deleted. Uh, and all you are is totality in that way. Uh, and this method of, of, an, of being is the way in which we can connect with all things. We can actually move to all places and be in all places at once. It's why when you go and you talk about uh, 
what's that type of dreaming where they, they talk about uh, lucid lucid dreaming lucid dreaming is ast- astral walking I believe it's a very similar way to describe it the experience but that's what it feels like to astral walk you're actually going somewhere your spirit is leaving your body you're going to those places those other realms those other dimensions of sorts uh, and so there is a way in which when you switch your perspective just a little bit and you say okay well maybe some of the assumptions I've made throughout my life aren't correct then you can actually start to play with these ideas and what you realize is it's not only not scary it can be initially but you'll realize that everything you've ever imagined or dreamed of is real it's all real everything everything you've seen in movies is real everything you see everything you can think of is real any idea period once you've thought of it it's real you've thought of it because it was given to you and that's it's already been made <laughs> Unless there are any you know kids I mean? listening, then Pennywise isn't real. He's a guy in my okay. <laughs> Yes. Well, to clarify. Well, that's I actually mean, the that's actually the point of the story the point, yeah. is what Pennywise is is a shapeshifter, and what makes Pennywise anything is is you. is whatever the person I is know, afraid but of. Ronan is terrified of Pennywise, so we keep on telling him he's a guy in makeup. So I'm just making sure that all the kids out there know it. <laughs> if there oh, are well, the, kids listening. The, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I, but I, I guess children the, listening to this podcast, to be honest with be you. Pretty they, heavy. Yeah. yeah they, they, they had some pretty intense things going on in their brain anyway. <laughs> so I think the idea of also, Pennywise being I said being fuck enough thing. times initially. Yeah. I think our parents probably made them late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it is a really interesting place that we've ended up here. Um, you know, thinking about that, uh, about... You know, initially when I we first started this conversation, I thought I was going on a kind of a weird tangent when I started talking about all the gods and them all being related and then the aliens and stuff. But it seems like that's actually uh, maybe we were calling out and uh, dialing the number, for instance, right then. And now we're. Uh, oh, I was going to say, just because we ran with it doesn't mean it wasn't a weird tangent. Yes, true. <laughs> very true. Uh, but just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not it's not true. Did you mean yeah. at the beginning of this episode? Or yeah. the, oh, OK. Yeah. All right. Um but yeah, that communication is 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 uh, is something that's always ongoing, uh, and I guess the way it ties into duty too, right? Um, is that we do if you in reading when you're reading about the first civilization, the Pleiades, right? Um, the way in which they overcame themselves was something like the civilization recognizing its own faults, its own wrongdoings, and not all of the civilizations have come to enlightenment or the next level in the same way. Right. As was what was interesting about the second card you pulled is another civilization that did it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but the first one, the Pleiades, I think it's interesting. They had this kind of this. Why would we be guided by the Pleiades right now as a civilization? Why would they be connect, connecting to us? Well, we must be similar to them in some way. We must be at a similar transition point. Why is everybody kind of uh, being so. What's the word? Um self-degrading in, in the world why are we, why yeah we, there you go why does humanity hate itself so much because we're starting to realize all the shit that we've done and in doing that that's actually the first step in the process it. of the pleiades <laughs> right. you know, it's- well, that's that's exactly it but so many people say things like oh I'd, l- I'd rather spend time with animals than humans it's like well you are a human and well i totally agree with that why why yeah because you don't like what other humans do you, have you met people? it's that realization yeah, it's, it's hard to get over <laughs> But then ask ourselves, too, if that's the thing that we have to get over, how does humanity as a whole get over it? What is the most effective way to get people, everybody, at the same time to realize that? Well, I think what we've seen throughout the 20th century is actually the start of that. What people have been trying to do, what the Soviet experiment was, was actually an attempt to do that. What communism itself is, is something like this, an attempt to kind of unify the world under a single method of thought in which we even out the scales and we assume a certain type of position 
uh, as a global species. So what species. you're saying is probably what we really need to do is get a really good genocide going. I was going to say, in order for me to actually appreciate humans and this world and everything, I actually had to die and recognize the fact that there was a good chance I was never going to be able to interact with all these people I didn't like. My mom, my dad, my kids. <laughs> Not that I didn't like my kids, but you know what I mean? Like a, anybody who's making me... <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> I, I suddenly realized that even those things that I couldn't stand about everybody around me were actually the things I loved about them because I started to understand why they were doing what was the There's intent. A... And I empathized with them. So I really, when I thought the world was coming to an end, was like, no, the world is not going to an end and I will not leave. And like, I had all of a sudden this strong kept, passion for everybody. I kept on remember you kept on saying like, it's like, I don't know why I'm so upset about everyone dying. I don't like anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and that's, that's the feeling. But it's also like in the example, like I was saying with communism is like, we've, those were attempts they were failed attempts, oh, as I, you pointed out. Yeah, every was, time we've tried I, that, it, it's I was a joking. genocide. That, yeah. that seems to be where we always end up when we come up with this cool idea. Well, and that's the uh, funny thing is but, we haven't recognized that we've tried it so many times and always ends in the same place. So that's what I guess I'm getting to is that idea is like we are being demanded well, to recognize that the, the, the methods of thought we've tried aren't working. And what we're doing right now, which is really dangerous, is trying to repeat the same things. Well, I think I brought up this point last time is. Uh, and. If you are going to go through that method of eliminating the people who are dissenters, you always get down to smaller and smaller levels of dissent. Mm -hmm. You're never going to need. I mean, yeah, Beth and I live yeah. in the same house. And we can't get along half the time on or can't agree on things half the time because we're two different people who have two different thoughts. So if you keep on wiping out the people who have different ideas, eventually you're going to be you're going to be down to one person. Well, you, you, you remove innovation itself and then you, you remove the development, the thing that drives uh, evolution itself. And a, yeah. a, a thought that occurred to me when you were speaking a minute ago, like being when you thought that the world was ending or when, yeah, when you thought the world was ending and you were upset about it, even though you didn't really think even the people that you didn't like that you realized you were going to miss to this guy, uh, Frankie Boyle, he's a Scottish comedian. He said he was talking about he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the. Um, Oh, the quarantines they have in Britain because mm -hmm. they keep on quarantining in their houses like you're, you're in your fucking house now. And uh, he said he, he finds that he's getting nostalgic for assholes. It's <laughs> like all these people he didn't like seeing and now he never sees them. He's like, oh, fuck. Well, it's a weird way in which maybe we are. We're it, it, through the through the coronavirus. All these you see how this is playing out at a, at a global scale. It's nine forty five. <laughs> it's nine forty four on my computer. I don't know if that's but, important. Okay. You guys just keep saying what time it is. <laughs> That's a good comedic break. I like that. <laughs> now I really want you to Google search angel number 945 and see if yeah, for some reason really it resonates really with anything. A lot funnier if it meant. Because it's not a yeah. traditional angel number. It's not. But no, that's, that, those are good points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that we're laughing at here. Like that's, we didn't need that comedic break because it has been a serious episode. Uh, and to all you listening out there, um, I do want to say, like I said, we've done sporadically throughout uh, tonight, but... Oh. What? What does, does it say? It apply? No, because I, I don't want to. I would. Because uh, you guys get all excited about this did, shit. You got excited yeah. about you it. Gotta, did you, you not hear yourself now. just Come now? On. <laughs> uh, no, I just realized. Okay. <laughs> the appearance of angel number 945 means your sacrifice has been noticed. Oh, yeah. There's more to it, but I'll just end there. No. Uh, and if you continue to work hard and put the effort into everything you do, the reward will come very soon. Dear reader, open your mind and the changes will bring you to the prosperity you are longing for. Okay, I'll let you end with that. I see why you're saying you don't want to go further into it. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that, yeah, the first the line kind of it tied in 
succinctly. Divination. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I just didn't think I was just being funny. You're a psychic too. Look you at are. you. I'm septic. You know, you're a septic. psychic. <laughs> <laughs> and to any of you listeners listening out there that are experiencing any of the similar things while you're while you're driving or while you're listening at home, you may be seeing the same things. Some other synchronicities, numbers of your own going off, or maybe uh, when you're listening to it, you notice that the number really resonates to what you're going through in the moment that we're going over. Uh, pay attention. Really, all it takes is to open your eyes in that way. Shift your perspective even a little bit. And you'll start to realize that there's all this this entire conversation you're missing out on. Uh, but with that being said, like I was getting into a little bit there, um, I do want to say, you know, to all of the, the men and women that have sacrificed themselves in military service, um, we do uh, recognize that sacrifice. Uh, and we want to know, we, I speak to any of the, uh, the men and women that have gone before us that that sacrifice will not go unrecognized or unjustified. Uh, that the way that we justify that, I think, and place it in proper context is with the conversation we were just saying that why, you know, sacrificing in blood like that um, demands to Mother Earth that the thing that Mother Earth is birthing, uh, honor it. How do we honor that sacrifice? Well, we bring the civilization to the level it's supposed to be at. We do the work individually we're supposed to do. You can honor the sacrifice of these men and women by living, living your best life because that's what they fought and died for in in a in a in a very indirect way but that the reason you're able and we are able in a very weird way to be at this phase of humanity's in humanity's existence is because we've gone through all the other steps to get here what were those steps a lot of them were very violent very violent a lot of bloodshed a lot of people died a lot of people suffered needlessly for us to realize that there's needless suffering in the world and I hope that you as a listener will take this moment to recognize that, to maybe think about somebody you know that's sacrificed in that way, uh, and to just take a second and connect with them and to thank them and to maybe think about how you can realize their sacrifice in your life, maybe even in a small way, one small step, right? And uh, with that, guys, do you have anything else to add? Well, I didn't read the tarot cards. Okay. And I I was- maybe we should do that before we go. I didn't want to end it too soon. Uh, well, we're getting pretty we're getting pretty close to the time frames from the previous previous yeah. episode. We can go right? as long as we need, especially if the conversation keeps going. Well, I, I would like to, if that's okay, just read this part from the Chaldean numerology that goes to the number six that talks about the two tarot cards, and then just read the actual yeah. tarot okay. cards and their clarifications. Yeah, I think that's important <clears throat> to the Chaldean numerology part too. Okay, is there anything you wanted to say? No. Okay. Are you ready? I'm doing a lot of reading in this one. <laughs> <laughs> the Major Arcana Tarot Card of the Lovers, which is number six, speaks for itself. Its number pertains to love, sex, trust, family, and happy homes. However, there is another level to this card, and it is one of choice. Do we go home to safety, or do we take the hand of the adventurer? This particular image illustrates how strongly body language can speak. The woman who stands beside the tree of life, complete with the serpent, which she is almost touching, Symbolism, ooh, easily recognizable as temptation, reaches out her hand to the man, but he is not receptive. His eyes are downcast, one hand pulled back behind his thigh, while the other splays open as if to say, wait, I'm not quite sure about this. While they are both naked, they are not touching or joining, nor do they look as though... They might. However, we do not know. The decision has not been made. So while this card refers to intimate actions and even fruitful procreations, it can also point to illicit affairs and emotionally damaging or destructive relationships, intimate or otherwise. And I want to point out that the lovers isn't 
always a romantic card. It yeah, is, no. It's, it's Speaking of love in all forms, mm-hmm. that's why it's domestic total love. Because, yeah. yeah, total love. Um, this example is of a woman and a man because the tarot card shows the image of a woman and a man, but it's always, it's usually always speaking about, uh, like it says choice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Choices re- relating to love, which is kind of what I was talking about with duty being yeah. being kind of a choice in a way. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's see. The choice belongs to the participants, and it boils down to say to it boils down to stay in the safe zone or take the hand offered. On the other hand, the other card we have the Major Arcana Tarot card of the Devil, which is fifteen. Um, one plus five is six. He is the actuality the materialization of the temptation i mentioned earlier and portrays the negative side of the six which is found not in an actual devil but rather within the human body mind and soul this is the card of negative desires of forces which manifests as thoughts habits decisions and actions like succumbing to the lure of drugs alcohol extramarital affairs and all kinds of other sensory-based stimulants and the changes that follow, which can include everything from broken trust to the devastation of relationships, homes, marriages, and lives. This 15 six speaks to the potential loss of domestic security, tranquility, and safety. The thing about this card and its message is that it also concerns choice. Have a look at the chains around the necks of these two figures. In other illustrations, these chains are pictured as... Mm, as easily removable. That's true. Um, this tech portrays the couple as more bound than others, but their chains are still relatively loose. That's true. Most cards do show the people um, below the devil as not actually being chained, having chains on them, but not being chained to anything specific. They're just choosing to stay by them. Stay bonded. The, the chains are in their mind. Exactly. Yes. Which suggests that, that yeah. yeah, that with a little bit of work, one or both <laughs> could escape if they truly wanted to. The devil does not keep them bound. They themselves do. Two alternatives are on offer here. Remain confined and chained and face the consequences or break the habit, the chain, using whichever means necessary to return to a place of safety and security. Since the six often concerns relationships and love, chances are good that any damage done will ultimately core down to something that is loved. A drug, a job, or even a hobby. Almost anything can fall under this heating. Versus someone who is loved. A mistress, wife, sibling, or anything else. Anyone else, I mean. Therein lies the challenge and the choice. So while the six is a loving and nourishing essence, it also carries, like all other number essences, a dark side. The lovers and the devil symbolize this quite well. Which is very dualistic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more, but I'll just end it with that. No, you're good. I, I, I thought it was really interesting, too, because we were talking about... Uh, in the love episode, the idea of total love, we ended with a, or maybe it was last episode. I can't remember. It doesn't matter that with this idea of uh, the devil and Jesus being two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that most people associate the figure of of Jesus with like total love or the most full love that you can experience, something like that, right? Um, and what we don't usually associate the opposite one, the devil, with is the same kind of thing, um, but that they're necessary together. That it's very interesting that those are the two cards that we pulled again randomly before the episode. Uh, and that what we're talking about here is some way a choice as a civilization, but as an individual and civilization, we're all the same thing, right? So that we are being, cho- we're being asked which, which to integrate those two things together to recognize what they are so that we can uh, more fully embody our place in the universe uh, as a piece of it, as a, as a, uh, as I kind of referred to it before as a, um, intermediary between the worlds 
right as a thing that translates from the more deep realms into this more physical realm the one that we embody we have this physical address in this one right uh that is our avatar and we have a responsibility to kind of maintain that connection you sever it uh, and then you lose the feeling of purpose and meaning in your life too um Anyway, that's where I got. Did you have anything else on the child, the Chaldean numerology part as well that you wanted to explain? Because I thought it was interesting before the episode when you were talking about uh, how the numbers added together as well. Um, not anymore on the on the child. I'm sure I could if okay. I wanted to, but I'd have to like go okay. do a bunch of reading. But the um, the zombie tarot card, yeah. The lovers. Okay. So because we're because I'm still pulling cards, I, I feel like anybody, everyone who's listening, and probably everybody here in the room right now, we're all experiencing mirroring something similar right now. Yeah. Which could be about um first card, the lovers, which is romance, sex, and blinded by passion. Now, while all three of us in here may not be dealing with the romance and the sex part, I think the blinded by passion could be something because we're mm. all looking for what we love, whether yeah. it's through something passionate like the podcast, you exploring a new trip to New York, or me doing something like with the psychic fairs, etc. Yeah. But it's also asking to um, pay attention to the choices that you make and why you think or feel that you love the things you do. So just really understanding yes. yeah. love and the choice of love itself. Um, it says decisions, decisions. Where do you start? The head or the heart? The lovers are duality in motion, and you must make up your mind before moving on to the next phase. If you decide to overlook that your new lover or love is one of the undead, because it's a zombie one, don't be surprised when he or she rips your heart out. Maybe it's better to leave this relationship behind. It's starting to sink. So I think that there are some people who might be in a relationship of sorts, whether it's yeah. a work-related thing, an actual partner, or just you know, just again some something, kind of relationship. Something, yeah. yeah a relationship that's something you love uh, something might be asking you to reconsider um, or even think about why you're choosing to be in this relationship yeah, just consider your your choices yeah consider your choices 955 when you say that it says angel number 555 tells you that within you is the power to co-create your life experience and pathway brings a message from the angels that the efforts you put towards making positive changes in your life will have many long-term benefits go ahead babe. the clarification card was the queen of cups and just because I'm not going to read everything, every definition from from here. The Queen of Cups. Cups has to do with love. It has to do with healing. The Queen is again related to not just a female person, actually, but like anything related to the divine feminine. So emotions, shadow work, dream work, astral travel, all the things that we've gone over yeah. are these kinds of ideas. So like if you loved being in the military, but mm. you're still having a hard time, you know, with the things that you had to do, it's just ask yourself, why did I join? Remind myself, you Go know, even if I saw and experienced things that I'm not proud of or happy with, why did I join? Yeah. What did I do? Spirit, God, source knows exactly why I made these decisions. Yes. And and that's what kind of helps you kind of helps you heal when it comes to your relationships with things that are are even non-human like your career path. Mm. Um and then the devil card says temptation obviously excess and self-destruction in a world turned upside down no one will blame you for indulging in a couple of vices in fact that's exactly what the devil wants you to do why bother to restore law and order when you can unwind with a few smokes why rescue children from orphanages when it's easier to kick back with a pint of whiskey easier the answer it says uh, with a pint of whiskey the answer to both questions is the same because you're better than that so the other thing that 
all of us, including the people here, are probably dealing with, if not themselves, someone close to them, is addictions. Me, okay. definitely. Yeah, well, I think everybody, most everybody has a form of some kind of addiction. It may not be an actual substance, but I it, think it humans in every part of your life. find themselves addicted yeah. to pretty much anything. Literally, um, yeah. <clears throat> toilet paper. I saw, I saw a TV show of a lady that ate toilet paper habitually. So the two, the <laughs> clarification card is, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. The two, the two of hazards. Okay. We'll look at the image. It's a man holding a skeleton on a chain. Yeah. And the skeleton's bonded. bonded so ties. it's very similar to the, the devil card itself. It's just Death, in a, right? In a, in a, the skeleton. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, number two has to do with, again, parallels, partnerships, duality, um, and then the hazards is related to the pentacles because uh, usually it would be the pentacles in a traditional tarot deck. But because it's a zombie theme, they have the hazards, which is very fitting for the devil and vices and proclivities, as Baron used to say. Um, and it's it's talking is a word. He didn't invent it. It's actually talking. <laughs> I, I know, but Baron used to say it all the time. I'm and teasing. I never I never used that word until then. But it's one of my favorite words now. But it's. Two of Hazards is talking about how certain relationships can be toxic or how even your yourself can be toxic to a relationship. And since it's pentacles, I'm thinking more along the physical body and also work-related things, finances. So your relationship with money, your relationship with your physical health, and then, um, well, again, addictions, which you're putting in and out of your body, which with the cups, the cups being the clarification card in the other one... Um, is about healing, drinking water. What yeah. does that do? What you were talking about, mm-hmm. what does it do? It detoxes your body. It gets rid of the toxins and it helps balance it out. Now, I'm not saying anybody who has uh, vices needs to completely just eliminate every vice Actually, out of them. Actually, don't do that because it'll, you'll, you'll sabotage yourself by doing that. Think yeah. and feel the point is all about mm-hmm. balance. So again, exactly. why are you doing it? Yes. Why did I choose to smoke why did i choose to drink why did i choose to stay up all night and talk on the phone Wait, whatever it well, is however it manifests why so i think the point is that heroin and moderate moderation can be a good thing I, real quick i want to that that was a joke i wasn't <laughs> i didn't even know what to say back then i was like well let's pull out some, some studies about this <laughs> I, you got there's no camera but i got a lot of weird looks really quick <laughs> so real quick i i kind of wanted to go off of what you were saying and tie into one last angel number I got actually was you were speaking. Uh, one four one four, I believe is what it was. And it's actually a recording number here in the program I used to record uh, that popped up. It was four seven four seven. I apologize. Anyway, I wanted to talk about real quick um, in that context uh, and duty. Right. Um, I think what Bethany was going over and what that message was about was I think our you know our guides right now, uh, our angels, the aliens, however you want to refer to them are trying to tell us or give us uh, examples of how we can tune our radio receivers, right? Um, one of the ways you can do that is by taking care of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how you can get the signal better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can, you'll hear and notice these things better when you're clearer, when you're more level f- focused, when you're not in your head somewhere else, planning the future or the past, when you're actually in the moment, right? All of these things start to make sense in that context when you view it from the proper perspective. But that being said, it still begs the question of what we were talking about in a broader context. As a species, what are we doing here? What's the next step? How do we honor the men and women that have sacrificed before us? Yeah, what? How do we take that next step? And I think one of the things I was thinking about, interestingly enough, was the movie The Patriot. It's one of my favorite movies, and uh, one of the things I I always that always struck me about that movie was a very specific scene. Heath Ledger is also in this movie, 
Uh, and it's a scene where he's towards the beginning of the movie. He's he's they're fighting and they're losing the war. And then the American Revolution is towards the beginning and the, the, the Americans are losing the war. The Patriots are losing the war. And they're they're after it's after a battle and they're all kind of beaten down and brutalized. And he's walking through this camp and uh, he sees this old tattered flag on the ground. It's all ripped and torn. Uh, and he picks up the flag. And as he's picking up the flag, there's a soldier all bandaged with a bloodied head. And he's kind of leaning over all ragged and torn. And he looks over kind of in a, with a disdainful look and, and says to Gabriel, I think is the name of the character that he plays. Um, it was Gabriel. Gabriel, right? Yeah. Uh, he says, it's the lost cause. And Gabriel looks at him and that kind of stares at him for a second and then doesn't say anything. And later in the movie, he's around the campfire and they're starting to win the war. And there's a turning point. And during its turning point, um, you see him sitting around the campfire sewing and talking, you know, talking about his experience and what he envisions the future to be, what the future America will look like. And he's literally physically sewing the flag together as he's doing it. Now, what always pulled out of that, um, without spoiling the movie for anybody as you go forward, is that um, what it took to create where we are right now is that kind of sacrifice. But it's not only that kind of sacrifice, it's that kind of belief, the will to power that Nietzsche talks about, the will to create, right? And that's something like a cause. How do we do that? How do we action it in everybody at the same time? We have to have a cause. You have to have a vision of it. You have to make some kind of doorway people need to walk through, right? And the way you do that is by actioning it, intentioning it. How do, we can do it now, right? What's the cause? To wake up, to level up, to join the rest of the universe. Do you How see do the do symbolism that? behind uh, him weaving the flag and uh, predicting things? Because most weavers are considered seavers. Yeah. Uh, seavers. Uh, seers, I meant to say. Somebody who has prophetic visions or is also somebody who, who uh, weaves or sews or crochets yeah. or something like that. There's, There's symbolism. There's also a spider, which was the tarantula in the previous episode. Previous episode. Exactly. Also, this isn't as metaphysical of what you're talking about. Because mine always but is. But that uh, movie came out 21 years ago. You can go ahead and spoil it. They're not going to watch it. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to, to go on, actually, because it, do, it does help with the story. The point I was getting at, very good point, is uh, he later goes on and he ends up getting killed. That character does right before kind of How they win you? the war. Right. <laughs> Sorry for the spoilers. I, I guess I gave a good a spoiler alert before. Um, and there's this moment um, when uh, Mel Gibson is sitting because it's his son. And he's sitting over uh, his his son's dead body. Uh, and he's already lost one other son in the war at the beginning. It's what kind of thrust him into it. Uh, he was ref he, he didn't want to be in this war. Right. And now he's sacrificed two sons to it. And his friend and another general in the, the uh, American army at the time, uh, I don't know if that's the right way to call it. it, sounds very out of place, but anyway, he comes in and he says, you know, colonial um, army, you know, he says some nice things, colonial, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And he says some nice things about Gabriel and kind of speaks on, uh, of him as the, the person that saw the vision that I speak of, right? Uh, and Mel Gibson's character doesn't say anything, but then a few seconds later in the movie, you see all of these soldiers marching off to battle and then you hear the the flutes playing and you see Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson's character riding up with the flag all sewn together finished what he had finished what what wasn't complete and then he carries it into battle and that next battle they win is the turning point of the war essentially in the movie at least and they go on to win the war and i think that symbolism like you said being on a flag too and and the 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 process of sewing it together being um uh, something that's interplaying between multiple people 
It's not just one person's responsibility. One person couldn't bear the responsibility of it. It'll actually kill you. Something like that. It's a very deep message. I, I just keep hearing, yeah. uh, mend the bond broken by pride from Brave. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole, she thinks that she had to actually physically sew up the tapestry to yeah. mend the bond, but it was actually about the fact that when she was breaking the bond, she cut the tapestry, yes, but the point was that she was breaking the bond by you know, getting into the argument with her mom. And there was two different perspectives on one topic and they both kind of wanted the same thing for their kingdom just to go about it in a totally different way. And it was to avoid war. Yeah. Yeah. This is how we get away from it. If we yeah. don't want to experience that kind of suffering anymore, it is something that I think we can't eliminate, but it requires some kind something like this kind of realization inside the individual and not only the individual, but humanity yeah. at the same time. <clears throat> and so the last thing I want to leave you listeners with is an angel number that I was saying before that I got when she was pulling those cards. And it's angel number 4747. And it says angel number 4747 is a representation of confidence and believing in yourself. Your guardian angels are helping you to find your inner confidence and sending you this number so that you can be guided into the right direction. So that being said, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Wait, did you say 4747? Yes. Okay, so that's 11 and 11, yes. or 11, 11, which is one and one side by side, like parallels, which also goes to two, which is duality, parallels. Love. Okay, so if you add them all together, it's four. <laughs> all of the repeating. Okay, so you see how the matrix pops out of which this, has to too, do with right? Foundation, yeah. security, the code, your home. It's not domestic love, but it is close to that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all of the things associated with domestic, just not the love part. Loving yourself. Number four is not about loving yourself. It is about secure foundations. Well, if but if, six is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And six is also about loving your your surroundings, not just yourself, your surroundings. Mm -hmm. and oh, integrating those the things. The total love. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have anything else before we get out of here, Justin? I was going to say that if you subtract the fours from the sevens, you got two threes. And if you add them together, this is six. Oh, look at you. Yes. Oh, is that a thing? I was being silly. I was trying to make fun of you. No, but I thought it was cool because you did it in a dualistic way. You did the opposite of what, what we do and still found a mirror. Maybe so that a, was neat. Maybe it's actually. I was like just trying to find six. I need to start trying that I was now. trying to find six with the numbers because you said six. That's funny. It, maybe it is. I was saying that's a language that maybe we only know a couple words in right now. Maybe that's another uh, couple words we just learned. Who knows? But with that, guys, that is the Unfounded Podcast. I want to thank you all very much for tuning in uh, to the last three episodes. We've been having a blast here creating these episodes, and I really want to thank you for your support. Uh, we will be back on here very soon, uh, and I want you to know that we all love you very much, uh, that especially for all of you veterans out there, all of you that maybe are going through a hard day today, um, remembering somebody that you love that you maybe are missing right now. Uh, I want you to know that we're here with you and that we are remembering them now, too. Uh, and that we are going to honor their sacrifice and the sacrifice of anybody else that goes before us or uh, has to sacrifice in that way in the future. Uh, and the way that we'll do that is enacting it in our lives so that we can all join together as one and join the universe as we should. Have a good rest of your night. Lots of love. Bye-bye.